Spencer Scott Holmes. And I'm Ryan Dunnigan. And today we're going to do something fun that we've always wanted to do for a long, long time. Talk about a couple movies that we really fucking love. So basically, kind of like the way if you listen to the show, usually just us kind of coming in and talking about whatever. Maybe we saw this movie, maybe we saw that movie. And they just kind of insert a dick joke here here or there. Uh, but we're actually probably going to do kind of like what we used to do, kind of like a retrospect. So we might even title this as something else other than just another episode. But like, because this is, this is going to be a little different. We're, we're are just kind of trying to break down a particular director, like his work and all that. And we're talking about Martin McDonough. Is your yeah. pronounce his name? Martin, Martin McDonough. McDonough, the guy who did the fucking two awesome movies in Bruges and Seven Psychopaths. And this is kind of thing, too. The Seven Psychopaths, we always look, it's like, that was our lost episode. We bring it up, like, multiple times. We technically did talk about Seven Psychopaths in depth on, like, our 2012, whatever, you know, mm-hmm. top movies of the year. Hell, I think that was our number one movie of the year for It was, yeah. For both of our lists, or whatever yeah. we did that time. But, um, I still always feel like, you look back, whenever you lose an episode, or if you lose a song, or anything you've ever lost in your life, <laughs> like, you know, digital-wise, or, you know, mm-hmm. that... You always go, man, that was a fucking good episode. If that episode was just there, that could have been our best one ever. Who knows? It probably wasn't even that good. Probably would have had crappy audio and anything. We recorded it while we are in a fucking car driving home at like midnight. Yeah, because the thing is we drove all the way to Modesto to see it. Because it was like, oh, like two Im- and a half hours from, or for anybody who's wondering, you know, what, where Modesto is in retrospect to us. We were like, we were driving, it was like one of those things like, oh, the guy who did in Bruges. Well, it's not, that movie's not coming here, so fuck it. Let's drive all the way to Modesto to see this movie, you know. It won't be a repeat of, of Legend of Chung Lee, I know that, you know. <laughs> so we drive all the way there, and we come out of the movie like, that movie was awesome. Yeah, 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 yeah. Let's just record the podcast on the way home. We got our, we just, and I talked a little bit about like Cloud Atlas, because I just saw that. Oh, yeah, and then we came ta- right around the same time, too. That I think we were talking about, because the Evil Dead remake was about to come out, so we were talking about a little bit about that. But then we were primarily, though, in detail, talking about Seven Psychopaths and how awesome it was. And then, um... The phone recorded, like, 20 minutes, if that even, of the conversation, and then just shut off and said, What, you want me to record longer? Fuck. <laughs> yeah. And then we just kind of, like, you're, we were just both quiet. I'm the one driving, just gripping the steering wheel just so sternly, just... You know, because it was like all those, all that talking, not gonna happen now. It was like when we were first, we're doing this one in person because I'm in town, but it was like when we first discovered, like, oh, we can do this on Skype. We're just like, yeah, 40 minutes of that conversation, not there, you know? Yeah, Skype would fuck us over a bunch, or Skype slash, but probably not necessarily Skype. We're always blaming it on Skype like it's their fucking fault, but it's probably that third party recorder that's always pissing us off. Mm-hmm. But whatever. Seven Psychopaths in Bruges, and then we're also going to talk about Six Shooter, which is his first, like, short little movie. Mm-hmm. But before that, he did a bunch of plays that were all kind of in about the same vein, sort of, kind of, sort of, as Seven Psychopaths and in Bruges, where it's that sort of dark comedy, but it's also like a full-on drama at the same time, which is kind of a neat one. I know it, Seven Psychopaths is a little bit different than that. It's almost like more dark comedy, less, you know, being a, like a, you know, a huge drama, but... Well, it's kind of like you look at... I don't know about any of his plays. I know that Seven Psychopaths was a play, never got made. And he's like, you know what, this would be better as a movie. 
And he had, I think, like six or seven plays he did. And I like to see some of these plays or like see them just made into movies or just even read the plays. Yeah, put them like, into movies. Put them into a format that regular <laughs> folk can see. Or I just even like to read the script of it because I like to know other stories this guy's told. Now he's doing his third movie now. I don't really remember what it's called. I want to say it's in production. But he's doing one called... Yeah, I'm looking at the thing right here. Does it say? But I looked on IMDb. He has a third movie in the works. So, um... As well as, I, I feel like... I guess it seems like the movies kind of come out like far apart from each other. Maybe they're not really as far as we think. I mean, mm-hmm. I think it was... In Bruges was, what, 2008? Yeah. And then Seven Psychopaths was 2012. So by that standard, he comes out with a movie every four years. It's 2016. Hopefully it'll be coming out real soon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And this, like, I, if you listen to the podcast, you know, you know, in, in Bruges was one of my favorite movies. Yeah, like, it's, one, it's one of the best ones. Like, there's just a magic feeling about that movie. It's something way different. And I just, he's like, these, these two movies, I don't think enough people have seen them either, too. They're kind of like hidden gem movies. I'm surprised at the amount of people that have seen them. But at the same time, I love introducing this movie to somebody. Be like, dude, you've got to fucking check in Bruges out. It's hilarious, but it's also sad and kind of dark at the same time. Well, that's the thing about, like, Six Shooter. Because I saw Six Shooter was on his IMDb. And before we did this, you're like, want to watch Six Shooter? I'm like, you know, i never seen it. Sure. And I just assumed it was going to be kind of like some... Cause I, I knew that he wrote plays, but I assumed for whatever reason. I just assumed, not even, really, even doing any real research before this. I just assumed Six Shooter was just something he did probably in college or something. And it was probably like a five, ten minute movie. Like, oh, this is like a 20, 25 minute movie. It stars Brendan Gleeson. Which, uh, and, you know, it's worth sometimes checking out, like, those directors, like, mm-hmm. kind of like the short short films or whatever it's technically not like people always go it's like oh it's mostly their first one they probably did a hundred like real short ones that were crappy and don't see the light of day mm-hmm. but there's some real neat stuff you find them like have you ever seen james cameron's like original like short that's like 20 minutes or so long? no i haven't it's fucking badass it's almost like it's like this kind of pre-terminator alien like thing where you know it's all sci-fi and they're battling a giant robot in and everything and you could see where terminator kind of comes from in there mm-hmm. But it's pretty badass. Or you know, you got George Lucas's original version of THX. Yeah, you see, yeah, you see a lot of that. Like this one right here. Like I'll say, Six Shooter. Like he won an Academy Award for Best Short Film, and that one right there is just like I can see a lot. Like it's probably like it's darker than probably either In Bruges or Seven Psychopaths. Probably darker than two of those. But it still is just like same humor. So fucked up and just so <laughs> funny in certain parts. Like it's like. It, you, for a second, if you've seen In Bruges, you almost think, oh my god, is this a prequel? And you realize, oh, there's no, it's not. But you can kind of see, like, kind of where you got inspiration or kind of early, mm-hmm. like, writing for that. And, like, Brendan Gleeson's wife just died. He goes in and he's sitting there and the doctor says to him something to the lines of, like, well, I have to go because... He said, oh, you can stay here with your wife, but I, I, I have to go because <clears throat> a boy just shot his mom's head off. So it's like, oh my god, is she alive? No, she got her head shot off. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Things like that. And, like, even though it's sad, he's talking, like, it's, it's very genuine. It seems very real. He's talking to his, the corpse of his wife. Like, well, I'm, I miss you. Here, I brought a picture of David. He puts, like, a picture of a rabbit. I, I don't know why. That's funny to me. Just, like, A, naming a rabbit of all things. Like, not Mr. not Mr. Fluffy or something like that. Just naming it David. Just like Is that weird a- to you to have, like, animals have, like, what they call people names? It's not maybe super weird. It just seems like David is seriously one of the last names I'd expect for a rabbit. I think it's not that I'm against it or anything. It just seems unexpected to me, you know. So just like it's just British, I'm expecting, like, I'm expecting him to put out like a picture of his son or something like that. But just like here's a picture of David. There's a picture of a little white rabbit. 
Well, doesn't that movie, like, trans, it goes into, like, they're on this train, and that's pretty much where, like, 90% of this little short film takes place. It's just him on this train talking to, like, this real kind of, like, weird Irish kid who's just speaks his mind, doesn't give a fuck, like, what's mm-hmm. going on. There's two people over there crying over something or another, and he just has to figure out what it is, you know, but he's going to mm-hmm. be a dick about it, too. Mm-hmm. Why are you being so mopey? You know, just, like, just beating and berating these people. <laughs> then you find out that their son just died. There's a lot of death in this movie. There is a lot of death in this movie. And the, he finds out that their son just died. And they're just at, and you know, he just keeps on writing, like, oh, is that a picture of your, like, Larry sees the wife is looking at a picture of this baby. She's like, is that a picture of your dead son? Did you beat him against something? You know? <laughs> he says, like, earlier at some point, he's talking to Brendan Gleeson, saying, like, I'm surprised parents don't care the kids more often. I mean, if I, if I had a kid, I'd probably kill it. I'm just saying. You know? I mean, look at how I turned out. I should have been killed. <laughs> And he's be talking mid sentence like it's not like oh sheep <laughs> no just sheep but the sheep outside the one thing I like about that short is that one is like by far the darkest of them all but like the comedy is also like turned up to the max <laughs> like it's one of those ones like you could show that to some people and they'd be like this is fucking horrible what is this garbage you know and then other people be like dude this is the funniest thing ever and some people might watch it and go I didn't see anything funny in that movie whatsoever it just seems sad and dark and evil. Like, cause that guy, it's like, even though you don't really like the Irish guy that, the, well, I mean, everybody's in, that, in it is Irish just about, but you don't like the young guy all that much, but is it, but he is the source of like nearly all the humor in it and you kind of like accept him as the movie goes on, you know? No, well, you just say like, it's that weird thing where it's like, yeah, he's kind of a dick, kind of a douche. But he's funny and charming all at the same time. It's, mm-hmm. it's a weird combo. He's wearing this, like, flamboyant, like, you know, green uh, undershirt with... Then he's got, like, a brown jacket over. So he looks as, like, as Irish as could be. He fuck throw a leprechaun hat on him. <laughs> like, that's almost how he's dressed. He almost, to me, came across as, like... We'll get where I figure we just do it chronologically. But he almost reminds me of Billy, uh, Sam Rockwell's character... From Seven Psychopaths, if he was Irish. Yeah, he's kind of like a prototype to that character. Mm-hmm. Which, and you could even say the same thing of like Ray, Colin Farrell's character, and um, and Bruce. He seems like kind of like a proto of that too, sort of. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where he's just, just kind of like the dip kid that just says whatever he wants, you know. It's almost like he's never had like a proper like <laughs> somebody telling him how to do things like this. He almost still acts. Like, ten years old, though he's, like, 25. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's, like... And he just seems kind of, like... After he finds out that, like, they're dead... Like, the, the kid's dead over there. He's still, like, Did you drop the kid? What happened to the kid? You know? <laughs> just keeps on pushing. And eventually, he drives this poor mom to jump... Or, like, well, he used to be a mom. To jump out the side of the train. And he's, like, Oh, how about that, then? <laughs> he's, like, not even, like, phased by it. <laughs> just, like, and the cops are asking questions. And he says, like... He's, there's like a picture of the babies. He's like, "Can I have this?" He's like, "Why to put into your like spank bank of dead babies that look like?" And he says some gay like you think, you think it's a gay look of some sort. A gay like it puts in like it says the name of like a, who's someone like a gay Irish. Uh, I'm assuming like a gay Irish or a gay British celebrity or something. It says he looks like a baby. I mean, I know he's gay, so he can't have babies, but he looks like him. <laughs> if he was a baby, if he had a baby, you know. I know I'm doing a British voice for an Irish character, but it's just the easy to go to. And he's, he even gets to the point where he's just kind of like, so, you know, I was talking about some things about the kid, you know, the mom and how she was raising the kid. You don't think that had put it over the edge a little bit? <laughs> and he's like, no, 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 I'll, I'll think that, you know, it's just one of those things that just happened. Just laugh takes its way. Yeah. 
He says, like, you don't think that, you know, you think it was maybe because the, you think it was maybe because the kid died? Like, maybe. <laughs> just like, <laughs> and then I just like, because like, once the train finally takes off, he's just said, there's like waving, like, as like a, like a fucking 10 year old boy waving to like p- passing police officers. <laughs> and the cops put something together, like, oh, wait a minute. I mean, that's where, and then like, uh, the the husband just has a full on mental breakdown and just stops, which you, you feel so horrible for the husband. Exactly. And then what ends up happening is uh, the uh, they come to another stop, and then like Brendan Gleason's like, "Well, this is my this is my stop. You have a good life. Hope everything turns out good for you." Brendan Gleason, um, Brendan Gleason, then uh, like uh, it triggers in his head, like, "Wait a minute!" Because remember, is the doctor talking about a guy, a young guy who shot his mom's head off? And then he turns around. The guy has two revolvers pointing at the cops that are all waiting there. He's shooting at him. It's kind of like, you know, like, okay, here's kind of the very imbruged Tarantino-ass shootout. Yeah, and just getting kind of shot up brutally going down. He's like, I missed him. I missed him. I just, that was bad. And just, you know, dies. He had like two revolvers. Brennan Gleason takes one. We then cut back to Brennan Gleason's house. This is probably the hardest part of the movie right here. Yeah. Well, it is one of those ones, too, because I remember the whole time watching this movie, it was like for 20 minutes or whatever, you're like, called Six Shooter. Where the hell is a Six Shooter in this movie? Mm-hmm. And then that part's like, oh, there we go, there we go. And at this point, like, Brandon Gleason's watched, he's seen a lot of death in the last, like, 24 hours. You know? And he's holding this boy kind of like, he didn't have to go this way. Like, you know, lady jumped out the train, my wife died this morning, like, all this bad stuff's happened. And then he takes the gun, and you see, and just kind of, like, sticks it in his pocket. And then it cuts to him sitting in his house, just, like, at the ed- edge of a table, like, dark and alone, looking at the gun. He opens the gun up. You got two bullets left. That's all you're going to need. <laughs> and then he puts down, there's a picture of Jesus. He puts down the picture of Jesus. And he's about to put the gun to his head. Then you hear, like, a, a, a noise in the other room. He gets up. He gets... Well, he's, he's, looking, he's, 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 he's looking to picture of his wife, too. He's like, uh-huh. I'm going to join you, honey. Don't worry. I'm coming there. And then he, see, then he hears a noise, walks out of the room, comes back with David, puts a gun to David's head... Well, you, al- you almost think first, though, like, when he has David, before that even happens. Oh, it's going to save him. Yeah, you almost go like, oh, well, maybe it's the animal. will be like, no, I've got to live for David. David's who I've got to live for. And then it's like, it's like even darker. It's like, David will go together. <laughs> he blows his fucking head off. You're like, oh, my God. And then he puts the gun to his head. The thing, like, short fuses or something. Or and he drops it. Draw. Yeah, then, like... And then he just then he's just like sitting there. He's like, "What a fucking day!" And it cuts to credits. No music. <laughs> Classic. No music. And it's so sad because he kills his bunny, but he has he's now alone. He doesn't have his wife, and he doesn't have his rabbit. So yeah, and now it's almost like there's too much time to think between going to the store and grabbing another bullet and coming back. Yeah. But like, will he do it? Will he not? Now. I mean, you know, I think in all honesty, as sad as that is. It's almost kind of like less sad. I mean, it sucks that the rabbit died because I'm, I'm an animal person. But I mean, yeah, I, I would have went for the version where it's like, I've got to do, I've got to live with David. Somebody's going to take care of David. Yeah, that's I. I that that would have been my ending to it. But the ending doesn't kill it for me. It kills a rabbit, but it doesn't kill it for me. And like, I, yeah, the rabbit audience is like, we fucked that one all day with the rabbit store. <laughs> Wallaby's like, fuck this movie. <laughs> Wallaby's like, I found it rather fitting, really. <laughs> always felt that's the way I'd go <laughs> in the arms of someone that loved me with the gun to the side of my head <laughs> so seems like a fitting in for a story yeah yeah well these guns are in for anything all rabbits are supposed to have the guns in their hands not the other way around <laughs> but- why caught this man why caught it I say 
no, it's one of those because sometimes there's certain dark. It's, it sounds great for somebody who likes a lot of dark humor and all that stuff. There's certain dark endings that I just feel like they don't work. Perfect example is the original version of Clicks. Yeah, that I think is one. You watch this like happy-go-lucky comedy film where it's just like. You know, hey, you know, it's like, yeah, work kind of sucks, but you got your best friend here, even though it's kind of annoying. You know, it's like, you're still having a good, good old time. And that's that thing where it's just like, yeah, well, shit fucking happens. Sometimes a guy just comes in to take your money and shoot you, and that's just how life goes. Mm-hmm. Cut the credits. You just hear some fucking cash register going. That's it. It's just so weird. And, and I feel that that's the only way that, that ending kind of makes sense. It's supposed to be like one of those, like, that's just reality. You know, you're having a good time with your friend. You're playing hockey. You're going to funerals. <laughs> and it turns out funny in some weird way it turns out funny in some weird way but at the end of the day some fucking dick comes in to steal 20 bucks from you and kills you like I don't think it works for clerks I mean I think I've seen other endings where that could work depending on the context and the rest of the movie and you know like I think cause you know as depressing as that ending is I think it still works I would have preferred it a different one but it doesn't ruin it you're talking about clerks or you're talking about six shooter six shooter no yeah six shooter it's one that works for that film like, it's like, okay, I, I get it. Like, you know, and it's kind of different, too. Because it's sort of like you expect it to be something. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, he's going to use the rabbit as kind of like, hey, this is what I got to live for. But it's like, mm-hmm. no, 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 we're going to go together. But then, like, it fucks up. And then he's just like, oh, shit. Mm-hmm. And then he kind of goes on to Bruges from there. I mean, I'm sure maybe he did. I think he did, like, maybe another play between here and there, possibly. But then eventually his next movie, which is what we're focusing on, he goes to Bruges, And that is... That was one of those movies that I heard it was pretty good. And like, all right, I'll give it a shot. And then I saw it for like, then I saw it for like, you know, um, for like five bucks at Blockbuster used. I'm like, all right, you know, here we go. And I just picked it up, watched it when I got home. I'm just like, you know, because it opens up, just like, that's when I went, that's when I went and like washed the blood and the residue off my hands in a Burger King. He gives us a phone, gives us a phone call. Go to, go to, in Bruges, you dumb fucks. You dumb fucks, go to Bruges. What the fuck Bruges was? I mean, just like sad piano shots of like buildings. Da, 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 yeah, da, da. like what are we watching? These like Bruges is a shithole. It is not a fucking shithole. They're just walking, and then just like from there, it's just like I wasn't sure what I was watching. Was I watching like a sad, depressing movie, or was I watching a comedy? And then like it goes to the part where they go up because that's that's the thing with that movie. It's like okay, it's I'm guessing it's gonna be kind of funny. I don't really know what's going on here. And then like that's when like the fat American tourists come by. They're like it's supposed to be a good view. It's just like I can see. No, actually, first off, Brendan Gleeson's like I can see from down here. Why the fuck do I want to go up there? It's just like <laughs> just like the small things like well, that. It, it's the little comedy in there. And so like fucking Colin Farrell's like you know what I'm not gonna go up there. He's like oh, I'm gonna stay down here. I fucking hate blues. And then next thing you know, there's just these three fat Americans that show up, and they're like, "Hey, have you been up to the tower?" So, no, no, I'm in the tower. Oh, I, I hear it's the number one place. Be no, no, you don't go there. It's fucking shite. He's like, he's like, yeah, but on my map here, it's gonna be fucking great here. And so he's like, yeah, but you know, there's, there's little stairs and stuff. You won't be able to. Be, What's that supposed to fucking mean? Look at you guys, bunch of fucking elephants. <laughs> just you officers chasing him, just like chasing him to keep away, and he's just like barely keeping away from him, just like running. just like running around. <laughs> and then I love this, like, like um, Brendan Gleeson, Gleeson comes down the stairs, Ray. and then he he walks up to him and stuff, and they're they're all like, "What's going on?" And he's like, "He's like, where were we?" They're like, "They're trying to go up on there." He's like, "Oh no no no, you don't want to go up there." It's like, screw you, motherfucker! <laughs> He's like, Americans. <laughs> <laughs> Which, like, you know, Colin Farrell is like, uh, Colin Farrell is Ray in that, and Brennan Gleeson, his name was Ken. That's yeah, Ken. Yeah. Like, Colin Farrell, you can kind of see, like, he is like, I'll, I'll say this, like, 
Colin Farrell, I never disliked him, but he was never really, like, a main seller for the movie, but he is, like, the best part of this whole movie. Oh, uh, yeah, like, this movie to me is, like, I seen Colin Farrell in things before this movie, and, like, you know, I enjoyed him, and I like Colin Farrell, but this movie makes me go, like, no, 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 I fucking love Colin Farrell. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it really, it puts him up at, like, one of my top actor lists. Like, this right here is kind of, like, something that maybe, br- br- like, brought me around him, like, okay, okay, yeah, I know I've, he's, he's, you know, he can do, he can do good in things like SWAT, or... Alexander. You know, yeah, you can do good in that kind of stuff, whatever. But then, like, you see this, like, oh my god, no, this guy's awesome. After watching this movie, this is like, well, this movie alone kind of made me really like Colin Farrell a lot. And well, this, the other thing that's kind of cool about this movie, too, is, like, Bruges was a town that, like, you know, you've heard of it, but I didn't know anything about Bruges. And it, the kind of neat thing is, in the movie, it's almost like you get to take, like, a tour through Bruges, in mm-hmm. a sense, too. You know, because that's what they're sort of doing. They're kind of there, they're seeing the sights. They've been kind of set up in this hotel, and you don't really know exactly why they're there first. You kind of assume that they're running away from a crime, mm-hmm. and they're just kind of hiding out in Bruges. So in that, you know, they're going to see statues, they're going to see churches, they're going to see all this stuff. And it's got this cool, like, ancient architect. You know, I think Bruges, like, the main part of that city was built in the 1400s. Mm-hmm. So it, it's got a great, like, set piece to look at, and pretty much everything was shot there anyways. There's just a handful of scenes that were shot you know, on stage, I think, at Fox or wherever, like, is that movie a 20th Century it's, Fox like I think it's Focus. Or, yeah. Fo- isn't that Fox? Focus, Fe- Focus might be owned by Fox, but Focus Features is another company. I thought that was, like, they're, like, independent, because everybody has their There's own. Fox no, Searchlight. No, Fox Searchlight's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Never mind. Focus is a different one. You're right. Which I think Focus might be owned by Paramount. Maybe I'm wrong there, but... Yeah. Um, well, it's. I'll say a lot of the things is maybe it's just kind of like, I'm a, I'm a simpleton. Maybe that's all it is, because it's like, the thing, a lot of things they say... I think it's like, it's not that it's, it's not the things they say are super funny. It's a combination of just like how blunt they are, the Irish accents, and then on top of that, the whole, just the, just how like, um, just the way they deliver the line almost. Cause like, it's almost kind of like the line where it's, it's not even all that clever of a line. It's just the way how he delivers it and the way how, how blunt he is about it. He says like, he says like, he says like, uh. Come on, let's go up there. He's just like, no, no, Bruges doesn't impress me. I don't like it. I don't like Bruges. He's just like, why not? He's just like, look, if I was born on a farm and was retarded, Bruges might impress me. But I wasn't, so it doesn't. <laughs> yeah, I'm not retarded, so I thought it doesn't. Yeah, so. It's like, well, I just like, because later on, too, when they got Ralph Fiennes, who's like their boss, calls up, and he's like, is Colton knocking the trip there? He's like, oh, well, you know, he's kind of there. He's it's kind of not really seen. What you fucking mean? It's not his thing. Well, you know, I mean, like, you know, you know, maybe just kind of a kid being there. It's a fucking fairy tale land. What is there not the fucking log about? Did he see the swans? Oh yeah, yeah, we saw the swans. Did he like the fucking swans? Like, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. What I meant to say was that you know, he did, at first he was kind of confused, but then you're like, well, that's fucking rock because it Bruges is the best place ever. When I was a boy, I went there, and it was the most magical place I ever went. I'm gonna visit it someday again. He says, I'd like to see Bruges before I die. <laughs> I was like, what do you mean? It's like somebody called up and they're like, did you like Disneyland? No, not really. What do you fucking not talk about Disney? It's just like, it's just like, how could all that magical love fairy tale shit not be anybody's cup of tea? <laughs> and he's just like, he says like, he says he looks at me. He says like, Ken, did did I dog? So I feel like he's he's like speaking more of his own opinion of how he feels because Ken loves Bruges. He's almost saying what how he feels. He's just like, oh well. It's, I feel like I've died and gone into a dream. It's just, oh, that's nice. <laughs> I'm glad I could do that for him. 
And even because you don't even see Ralph Fiennes like the third act, but there's a part too, like it, it comes a little bit before that, but he sends like a you know a telegram or not fucking that telegram, a letter, but a letter. And it just says like it's oh, just, just like, like a phone call, but written down word for word. Yeah, and it's just like like fuck, 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 fuck. He's like, oh boy, he sure swears a lot, doesn't he? And then the lady comes up, she's like. What did she say? She's like, it's like I'm the and like P.S. I'm the owner, not the fucking like, not the not the, not the receptionist. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, no. It's just and like she, like the owner, the owner of the of the hotel they're staying at is this very nice lady who she's pregnant, but she still has like even though she's really nice, she has like this weird kind of like she has a little this kind of like uh, I guess tough streak to her to a certain extent because as they're talking, you know, because she seems really nice, really sweet. She's like, I'm sorry about my boss calling the other night. It was just. He could be kind of a cock. Yes, he could be. He could be a cock. Yes, you could say that. <laughs> and then later, I mean, well, we're jumping ahead here, but then basically you find out. Um, we probably talked about this movie enough, but we'll just say it again. Um, you find out the reason why they are in Bruges is a hit went wrong. Colin Farrell was supposed to kill this priest. I guess this priest knew something. And then as he shot, as he did the killing blow to the priest, the bullet went through him and hit a little kid in the head. Now they're in Bruges, hiding out on Chris, like around like close to Christmas. Well, and the thing too is like, because like what Martin said, like the director is always like, you know, you watch all these action movies and bullets are flying everywhere. But he's like, where, where do all those extra bullets go? You know, when they don't hit anything. He's like, and I was like, I, I never really saw that in a movie where a stray bullet went off and killed somebody. So he's like, that's kind of what I was going for. Makes sense because they do it. They shoot it like it's kind of like even though he's killing an Omar man, they shoot it like it's kind of cool. He says like, he Father, says, I'm here. He's just like, I'm here to kill you. Just like, boom, 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 like shoots him through the thing. The guy walks up and he stands all cool, shoots him, shoots him in the, like, in through the back and like hit through, goes through his chest. But you see a little kid go down. Like, like sitting there kneeling down praying and there's like a bullet hole in his head. Yeah, it's literally, it's kind of one of those things, it's not just a simple little bullet hole, like you literally see part of the kid's head is missing. You're like, fuck, they didn't hold back. I remember when I first saw this movie. And that's after a funny scene too. He says, Yeah, like, like that, that's, that's what throws you off in this film. And I think that's, that is almost like the charm of it. Because as far as it's like, it's half of this dark comedy, but then it's half this like serious dark drama, but like all meshed together. And he just, there's other movies that do that, you know, there's like, I not mean, as well though, I don't think. No, I, but the, I mean like maybe that I, I almost feel like I'm having a hard time thinking of movies that kind of come before in Bruce that did a lot. I can sort of think of movies mm-hmm. afterwards, but maybe it's more, we find it funny. Like I like yeah. think out of the furnace to me feels like similar vein. It's not nearly as funny as in Bruges. But it still has sort of like it's a very dark movie, but then it has these comedic moments. But maybe we just find that more fun. Than anybody I'm going to say this: there, this movie, like uh, Martin uh, McDonough, he just has a really fucked up sense of humor. We just have we just found the funny in, in Out of the Furnace because Out of the Furnace is not a comedy. It is just us pinpointing moments and laughing about. <laughs> oh, okay, it. I'll say this: Woody Harrelson is a comedy in that. But there's other moments in that movie that I th- I think the director made Out of the Furnace to be slightly funny. I don't think it's supposed to be like. It's not like it's supposed to be, you know, selected in comedy section. You're not going to go to a fucking video store and find people like, hilarious, funny movies. <laughs> I even say there's probably like a, mo- a funny moment or two, but it's like just it's like you and me find Woody Harrelson funny, just like in that like nasty-ass workout short, like shirt, like basketball shorts after doing, just shooting up heroin, just like jogging in place, you know, <laughs> just getting all amped up and shit. Like Wolf and Laura just kind of like, you know, just the, our favorite line, like, Give me that fucking hot dog. <laughs> like that. But the thing about Ambrosia, once again, is like, it's one of those movies, it's almost like 
you don't even know where to kind of classify it. So it's like, do you put it in your comedy section or do you put your drama section? It technically could go into both and it would make sense. Nobody would argue. It's also some of the small things about that movie, like some of the humor. It's like, it's like one of those things like, he has no problems. Like he doesn't pull any punches on the humor. Like on like, I'm like trying to offend people because they'll like make fun of fat people. They make fun of midgets. Yeah, There's a part where, <laughs> I just love it. just like, they're walking through in Bruges at night, and now fucking race drinking beer and everything, and he's sort of having a better time because he's like partially drunk. And all of a sudden, he looks over. He's like, "He's like, what are they doing over there?" He's like, "Oh, well, don't worry, we don't need to go that way." Look, they're filming midgets. Oh my god, they're filming fucking midgets. Midgets in fucking Bruges. And he's just so like, excited. And he runs over there. He's just like, he's just like, "Fuck off and go look at your buildings. They're filming midgets." And I just love how excited he gets. Oh, His eyes are so wide. It's just. It's okay. just the, the fucked up thing he says. He sees a girl like, oh my god, she's gorgeous. And like, there's a girl played by... She's in like the Harry Potter movies. Is that Her, what she's in? I always kind of like... She was like um, in... She's like the French girl in Harry Potter. Like, she was the... Um, in the fourth movie, she was the French girl that went to that all-fancy French school... And then she, like, later hooked up and got married to... She dies in the last movie. But she gets married to the guy who can turn into a werewolf. Oh, uh, okay. Okay, gotcha. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, she, like... Uh, I feel bad, but, like, because I... I, I well, she's got a very, like, Euro name. Yeah, it's a very hard to pronounce name, but she's, she does a fantastic job. And she kind of goes up, she's like, so I hope your midget doesn't fucking kill himself. Like, that's his opening <laughs> He's going up this list, he's like... He's looking, Time Bandits, the midget kid himself, you know, and, you know, this movie they kill him, and this one too. I think the R2-D2 guy's still hanging in there, good thing, good for him, you know, but he's got, for some reason he's got this backlog of knowledge of midgets that have, like, killed themselves. It's just like, like that old tale of, like, in The Wizard of Oz, you're supposed to be able to see, like, there's a midget hanging himself in the background. She's a flamingo or something yeah. like that. Yeah, but, like, um... It's like that flamingo hanged himself, just a flamingo, like, that hung itself, like... Like, almost like a Flintstones one, like, <laughs> it's not just a living. <laughs> not anymore, it's not. <laughs> but, um, then they're, then, like, I think it's funny, because after she says, like, he doesn't like being called a midget, he prefers being called a dwarf. And then later, he's talking to Brennan Gleeson, he says, like, well, here's what we're gonna do today. If you want to go on your date with that girl, because he gets a date the next day, he's just, like, he's all excited, like, I got a date with this girl, you know. He's like, alright, well... You get, if you're going to go out on a date with this girl, and I'm going to take the fall for you, we're going to do whatever I want. And we're going to find something that balances between fun and culture. And Ray just says, I'm pretty sure we're, it's, it's going to tip into culture like a big, fat, retarded black girl on a seesaw opposite, he pauses, a dwarf. <laughs> like, he suddenly gets politically correct because that's what the girl prefers him to say. Fuck well, everything else. Like, like, but the, the girl's like, well, she prefers a, a dwarf. But I can still make fun of retarded people and black people. And the kid's like, what is she going to be black? He's like, I just knew a black girl who was retarded. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought that was funny. Like, it just felt like, I don't know, just so many things with that movie. Because it's really just like two hitmen. There's, I mean, I'm not going to, I don't mean this in a negative way. There's hardly a story there. It's two hitmen just hanging out, killing time, waiting for orders. And then once we, once Ray Fiennes finally calls. Well, there's even like, there's other great stuff too. Like, I, there's another scene I just love is like, I think it's right after they do like, they're hanging out and they're doing all what Ken wants to do. And then Ray fucking leaves and he's sitting on a park bench and he goes to wave to the midget. Like, he's so excited. Like, it's almost like his new best friend. <laughs> you just saw him from a distance. Yeah. <laughs> Then, like, he doesn't fucking even wave back or look. And he's all like, that fucking midget didn't wave. He's like, that little fuck. fuck. <laughs> yeah. 
he gets all pissy. And then I love later on, he's in like a bar. And he's, well, this is, oh, this is actually past. There's another great part. There's just so much great comedy in it. And like even scenes that like I've never seen in a movie before too. Because when he's on the date and he finally goes back home with her, it turns out that what she is, is she's a con woman who her and her friend pretty much rob tourists. Mm-hmm. And this guy comes out with a gun and is like, says, like, oh, I'm going to rob you. So fucking Ray takes the gun. And he's like, oh, well, well, don't worry. That's just blanks or whatever. Fires one off. Tesla's the blank. And then the guy tries to come at him with a knife. And he shoots him in the eye with the blank. Which is like something that's like, I've never seen that in any other movie. Uh-huh. That, I, small things like that is what I love in film. It's just like, you can even have a movie that I don't really care about. But if I see something in it where it's like, I've never seen that before. I almost go like, well, it might have been the greatest movie. I love seeing just like somebody trying something completely different. And mm-hmm. that right there is just one of those ones like, dude, that's awesome. Like, I would have never thought, like, yeah, take a blade and just shoot it right in the guy's eye, but because it's still fire fucking coming out. And then he turns around to the girl and he's like, so you were conning me? He's just like, no, I wasn't conning you. We usually con tourists, but I wasn't conning you. I told him to take the night off. He's just like, and then he's just like, oh, then he's, he's just trying to have a serious conversation conversation with the girl. Then she turns, he's like, oh, I can't say. He turns around, yeah, because I just shot a fucking blanket in your fucking eye. He goes back to the girl. And like, it's like one of those things, like he says like, oh my God, why is it, like, why is it that like, why is it that like, skinheads got to rock around like a bunch of fucking poofs now? There was a time where you just beat up 12 year old Pakistani kids. Now you got to go around trying to be tougher than what you really are. You know? <laughs> <laughs> he's just like he's just like he's like this always happens like you know I made a girl like you it just always goes wrong I'm like what do you mean like we know a nice girl <laughs> and I like, like you mean that he's like somebody who he just found out was gonna try and rob him he's like a nice girl like you it's like, <laughs> like damn that's a good person <laughs> well it's just like I like the bluntness of like kind of how he is just like first date they talk about like what do you do he's like I'll kill people and she's like well I sell drugs to actors <laughs> <laughs> And then I just like too, because any of those like ends up taking like he robs her of like her drugs and everything. And when, then yeah, once they leave, she's looking around like, okay, what do I got? He's like, coke pills. Okay, he just leaves. He's <laughs> like takes it, and then he meets up, and then he sees the midget <laughs> or like um, and the the, the little guy's playing uh, Peter Dinklage. Yeah, he's in all Game sorts of Thrones. Of well, I don't think of that. I, I mean, I don't watch Game of Thrones. But I think he's like an X Men and shit. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. Fuck um, this chair and it's fucking squeakiness. You <laughs> sit up like. Upright and shit. I'll fuck up. I can't fucking relax and rock. Good man. But um, like he's, but he's in the bar and he sees he's got like this hooker or whatever, and he goes over and he just like starts poking him in the fucking head, the side of the head. Yeah, just, like, <laughs> I don't like because then he I was like, "What?" He's all like, "Why didn't you wave to me in the park this morning?" I was on a lot of horse tranquilizers. I wasn't waving to anybody except for maybe a horse. <laughs> and he's just standing there and then I like because also like Ken comes back and he's all like just did like a line of coke and they're both staring down looking at him you want to do some cocaine? <laughs> yeah and that's what he has like this arched eyebrow with this fucked up look on his face <laughs> just staring at him and it's, when, when he first comes in like because well before this we find out that's where we have the conversation with um, Ray Fines as Harry with Ken we don't see oh, yeah. Harry for a while and he just says like he just has this like you know he, earlier, they kind of missed out a phone call from Harry because they were meant they were supposed to get orders and all that, and, and like it's sightseeing or something. Yeah, and then like you know the night when they're they're waiting there, he's like tell tell uh, tell Ray to go out and do something. What's Ray doing? He's like I don't know. I think he's he's gonna go find bowling. Does bowling in Bruges? Well, there might be. I don't know. Well, like, he just, doesn't know that. He's like he does. He's not sure. Maybe and he's like all right. Well, go double check and make sure he's there. He's in the bathroom. Just go double check. Is he taking a wee or poo? He's like. <laughs> 
I'll go check. Do, 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 do. Just walks over like, oh my fucking doing this. Opens the door so like, the phone could hear. Closes it. Yeah, he's done. He's out of there. He's like, well, make sure he's not a dog. Go back. He's like, I'm pretty sure he's gone. Oh, you fucking know for a fact. Just go check. He's like, gets up again. <laughs> just walks over. Just like, oh, okay, whatever. Opens and closes the door. Then walks back. So he's like, yeah, he's gone. That's when he drops the lot. That's where he gets the whole, how he doesn't like Bruges. And you find out the reason he sent him to Bruges is he wanted to give Ray one last good time because Ken has to kill him. Ken's the one that has to kill him because well, like, he he killed a little kid. Yeah, because Ray finds goes, he's like, you, you, got, you got to have kind of like morals and there, there's a there's a ground that you can't cross. And he's like, and killing kids, you just don't get away with that. Mm-hmm. He, and I like, because he even says, he's like, he's like, if I accidentally shot a kid, I'll just do it right there and shoot myself in the head. Just call it a day. Mm-hmm. It's like, that's it, you know? You just don't fucking do that. And then like Ray, so then like uh, uh, Ken realizes, oh my God, I got I to gotta kill my friend here. So that's when he bumps into him at the bar. They're hanging out, and then that leads to them having like hanging out with the like after hookers and like two hookers and uh, Peter Dinklage. And Peter Dinklage just on this cocaine fueled rant, just going like, "It's gonna be a war, man. It's gonna be a war, man, between the whites and the blacks." Uh, who, who's side of the Vietnamese? He's also, he has just a weird obsession with the Vietnamese. Yeah, because the Vietnamese is in all the movies too. He always mentions the Vietnamese. Like he, I don't know what it is. It's like what side of the Vietnamese on the blacks. Mexicans, the blacks. Well, because there's even another Vietnamese part too. Like when they're on the date, um, when Ray's character is, and he's talking to that guy's like, "Could your girlfriend just like not smoking here?" He's like, "Well, you're in the smoking section." <laughs> and then like it goes on. Like I can't remember what he says. But he says something about Vietnam. He's like, "Well, just like the, the Vietnamese." He's like, "What does the Vietnamese have to do with anything?" Because he thought he was American, so they lost the Vietnamese. <laughs> and I'm like, like, "Dude," because he says he's like, "We's like what the Vietnamese?" Like just because you say it over and over doesn't make it fucking <laughs> true. <laughs> <laughs> Is that gonna do with anything? You know, he just has it's just like how Gray has these weird quirks. Like he has this like bat, like like you said, like this knowledge of just different <laughs> dwarves that died, and then he just has this weird obsession with the Vietnamese, like going to the Vietnamese. He just, you know, you find people like that every once in a while. That they, at first you meet me, like this person is kind of dumb, but then all of a sudden they got this weird fucking knowledge of shit that's like like why and how I can't figure it out, but some things just stick, and they just got. I don't know. And, like, yeah, there's always the Vietnamese. And even the Seven Psychopaths, the Vietnamese come back, too. But And then, like, what ends up happening is they hang out, and you find out that Brendan Gleeson... Like, he's having this he's having this whole cocaine-fueled rant, and then Brendan Gleeson says, All right, well, what side am I supposed to pick on? Because my wife was black. She's dead. And you find out... And she was reason, killed by a white person. Yeah, and you find out that Harry was the one that killed uh, the guy who killed uh, his wife... So that's why he works for Harry now. Since then, he's been kind of stuck working with him. Yeah. So, and so that's why he has this weird dedication to Harry. So, out of that, you know, they end up, that's where it kind of gets real for a minute. Then, like, you're like, all right, well, time to leave. And well, actually, first off, I got to say this. This kind of like this. This came out beforehand, but like, Colin Farrell is staring at Peter Dinklage, just giving this weird, fucked up look. He's just like, "Have you ever thought about killing yourself because you're a midget?" He's just like, what the question is that he's just like i don't know like you know she's like what about like you know at the, he said it somewhere there is like what about like uh black midgets he's just like, you have no idea the shit i get from black midgets <laughs> <laughs> and it's like the movie just pulls no fucking punches when it comes to like you know trying they to just piss. say shit that's why I, I think that's why i just like that just 
no problems. Like, I just characters with no filters. Yeah, and like a Not bunch a single of, character has a filter in that movie, too. A bunch of, like, you know, drug-fueled hitmen and, like, junkies would not have a filter like that. You yeah, know? exactly. And then, like, that's where we go to uh, Ray getting... That's where they go home... And that's where it gets kind of serious for a minute. Like after after he, so they leave, he then karate chops Peter Dinklage to the side of the neck. He's like, "I'm taking the." He says, "I'm taking my drugs." He's like, "Yeah, yeah, no way." He's like, chops him to the side of the neck. Mine, and grabs it, and leaves. He's like, "You don't know karate." <laughs> and then they and then they like go back. And the next day, he's like staring at a playground, and he talks to the. This uh, is the part. It's like it's like the saddest part of the movie. But for some reason, maybe just because since I've seen the movie so many times, you just got Ray, and he's sitting there, and he's like watching these children, and like. There's all these, like, deleted scenes in that movie, too, which this movie has some of the most interesting deleted scenes because a lot of them are actually kind of cool. Like, I almost kind of wish they were back in the movie. Mm-hmm. But then there's a lot of them, too, where they almost feel a little bit redundant, so I see why they're kind of deleted. But it's like, they have a lot of scenes where Ray keeps, like, looking at children throughout the movie. It's fucking weird if you explain <laughs> about the rest yeah. of it. But, um... <laughs> and there's a part where he's just sitting there watching, you know, these kids. <laughs> and there's, there's the line he says, I guess, at first there, but he says a couple times in the movie, he's like... Oh, kill a little boy, but I don't know what it is about it. Like he busts up crying and everything, but for some reason, maybe just because I've seen the movie so many times that now it's like comes. It's like I oh, kill a like, little boy. He's like, like crying into Brendan. He's crying into Brendan Gleeson's shoulder about it. But this is the point where Brendan Gleeson's like he decides like, okay, I'm gonna kill him. You know, whatever. It's like I, I just I gotta do what I gotta do. It's a job. It's like yeah, I know he's my friend, but that's just how life goes. And he goes up and he's walking up. He's got the silencer and a trench coat, which just looks very like mischievous, anyways. <laughs> Towards a children's playground. <laughs> and then all of a sudden he comes up to him, and fucking Ray's gonna shoot himself in the head right there. And fucking this, exactly six-shooter style. And this is the thing that's kind of funny. I mean, it's sad, and it's it's sad, and it's tragic, but at the same time it's kind of funny. Because it's his job to kill him, but he's stopped, and he's gonna kill himself. So it makes him guilt-free, but he stops him. He's like, no, wait, wait, wait. He says, you're gonna kill me? You're, like, you're gonna kill yourself. You're gonna fucking kill me? He's like, we do have a gun there. I was, you know, and that's when he drops it on him and he, he tells him, like, look, there's not, there's nothing you can do about it now. Yes, it's horrible that you killed a kid, but what's killing yourself? Oh, killed a little boy. You can't kill a little boy. What you, what you got to do is you just got to get out of here. You just got to get out of here, live your life, and try and find some way to redeem him. You know, so then he gets on the, he gets on a train and goes, and that's where Ken calls Harry. He says, you hear that train? That's where Ray is. We, I don't know where it's going. Neither does he. he. Hangs up. And that's where you get him. He's on the phone, just staring at it blankly. And then he just... This is probably one of my favorites. Probably the best line in the entire movie, and it's like the most, like, simplistic, It's like, like almost what a 14-year-old would say. You know, he starts slamming the phone. Just like, His wife just shows his kids. They're, like, like, all turning around. this like, little happy family. And he's, just like, he's just like, Harry, he's just, what? He's just, it's an inanimate fucking object. You're an inanimate fucking object! <laughs> And then I love later because he comes to, he, when he comes down he comes and he's like I didn't mean to call you an inanimate fucking object I'm sorry <laughs> just, no it's like first of all no, first there's even like a build up I like it there's even a build up he's just like I gotta go it's just something I have to do he's just like can you call the boys no this is me I gotta do it this for me he says okay we're gonna get violent yes I just want you to know I love you and I'm sorry I called you an inanimate fucking object <laughs> <laughs> like, and then I really think this is probably the like I love Ray Fiennes. This role is like like the pinnacle of like all this is like stuff. best. Thing. And he's like only in the movie for technically like twenty minutes, thirty minutes max, mm-hmm. you know. But it's just it's so much fun with him in this part. And then like when and he's he, a bad guy, but you love him. Yeah, he's like such a likable like villain. And then once he gets talking to like 
once he gets talking to Ken, once he gets to Ember, he's like, I start talking about, like, we're going to kill, I'm going to kill you, this and that. And he's talking to him, and first he says something to the lines of, like, it's just one of the best parts. It's just, like, he says, like, so look, he was going to kill himself. He's like, he's just like, uh, first off, he says something to the lines of, like, hey, Laura. <laughs> he was going to, hey, Laura. It's those things he, he's like, I'm going to, like. Huh? I need you guys to do me a favor. Okay, we can put a pause here. And we're back with our second half of our in Bruges slash seven psychopaths slash six shooter. six shooter slash Martin McDonough. We had a, we had to take a taco break. Literally, we did. We li- we literally went to this place called the Magical Native American Store and got ourselves burritos and quesadillas and all kinds of fun stuff. But I think where we left off at, Ralph Fiennes shows up in Bruges, his favorite place as being a seven year old boy, which is interesting in the. I watched the deleted scenes again, because I don't think I've seen those since I originally got that DVD, mm-hmm. and I kind of forgot. There's all sorts of flashbacks in there that were kind of cut out. There's one when he's a little boy, and he's in in Bruges. Mm-hmm. And then there's another flashback, which is kind of an in- interesting one, where it shows Ralph Fiennes killing um, Ken's uh, person. And it's like almost like takes place in the 70s or so. And he was played by Matt Smith right there. That's the, yeah. uh, that's the guy that plays, uh, well, you know him more as, you know him as like uh, Skynet... In the new Terminator movie, but he That's was right. also Doctor. He was one of the doctors in Doctor Who. Yeah, I, I just know the Skynet one. Yeah. I don't. I don't know the Doctor Who. One. <laughs> I don't know that nerdy shit. Get that out of my face. <laughs> what? Well, uh, you know, Doctor Who's one of those shows. Probably if you watch it, it's totally fine. But I think it's more like the fans sort of just ruin it for me. Where it's like, I don't want to be a part of your group, your we'll, cult. We'll get back to. We'll get. That's nothing to do. We'll we, we have to even go in that tangent. I'll just say this real quick. In Bruges, we'll, we'll go. We'll skip that in just a second. I just want to say it is one of those things. The more like a, a, a Doctor Who fan tries to get me on to the thing i'm like fuck that show i literally had a had a friend like try and sit me down almost strong arm me into watching the show and then the more i watched i'm like okay this is actually a pretty good show but the more you try to defend that show the worse it seems so yeah i think it's what you you have to naturally go to doctor who whovians keep that in mind don't keep go keep on trying to twist people's arms and watching does it does not work not for that show you gotta just let them go to that show and then they'll get into it anyway but back to this though back to bruising it, it br- uh br- to like Do- dr bruce no um and so the, when Ray Fiennes comes in and sees, uh, like, it's one of the funniest things to me. Because it's like, so, it's like, he's already pissed off that he let his job get away. He's already pissed off that he got to let his job get away. And he's all like, she's like, I can't believe you let him fucking get away. Well, they're sitting in like this, like, outdoor diner area, too, talking about this. And, and then he says something to the effect of, which is, he's just like, look... He was going to kill himself, and I stopped him. Like, wait, it just gets fucking better. So let me get this you straight. You don't have to do any fucking work. <laughs> you just had to let him kill, like, solve your problem, and apparently his problem. And but my you, problem. But you had to fucking step in and do something, you know? And so, then the one thing I love, too, is that there's a part where he goes, like, or Ken's like, well, he's suicidal. Well, he's not. And then he's like, Ray Fiennes like, well, he's not fucking suicidal, is it? He didn't do it, so he's not suicidal. Which is always, like, the thing I like. It's like, whenever you hear people that go, like, when they publicly announce, like, oh, you know, I was going to kill myself. It's like, no, you weren't. I go back to my unloving father, like, thing, where the kid goes, like, I'm going to kill myself, Dad. You know, a real man just goes through with it. Yeah. That's the suicidal person, the person that does it. Yeah, exactly. So I love That's that line. That's real suicidal, man. That's what I love in him, Bruce, because it's like, did he kill himself? No. Well, then he's not suicidal then. Look, I'm suicidal. You're suicidal. We're all fucking suicidal. 
Just how fucking angry he is. Just like, you know, Ray finds when he just gets mad. <laughs> I like he's like, we're not even gonna have a bloody shootout here in the streets in the park here with all these people. <laughs> and then he then they he says like, alright, well if you're gonna kill me, I'm not gonna stop you. Let's just go up to the top of the tower and get a great view of the place. And earlier on, there's this one real dickhole of a of a guy working the register at the uh of the um <laughs> Of the, of the of the tower where Ken's like he's off by like ten cents. He has and to he, break a twenty or something. Or break a fifty, I think. And then he's like, "Are you happy with your job?" Very much. And then at some point he goes up there. He's like, "It's closed." Like, "Are we just gonna go up there for like five minutes? We'll be right down." He's just like, "Then he literally pokes Ray Fines in the face." And Ray Fines is like poking him in the forehead. Like, and it is fucking. Cl- oh, he's gonna say fucking. And he has like this vacant expression. Like he's not mad, he's not angry, he's just this blank, vacant expression. And he's just poking him in the forehead. And he like just he's pauses. trying to like push the information into him. Like. And he just like blunks, like, did he just fucking do that? And he just like almost robotically just starts beating the fuck out of like, the guy. He starts just pistol whipping the guy. And not even like smiling, not even angry, just almost robotically, like, I have to do this. Then <laughs> <laughs> they go up there, they get one more view, and they have a they have this conversation, and then Ray, like, like Ray's like, I'm not gonna kill you. He's like, Oh, okay. I, I love you too much. You're too important to me. Or not Ray. Um, um, uh, Ray, Ray Fine. Well, Ray Fine's not Ray the character. Harry says, I love you too much. I'm not gonna kill you. And then he says, Oh, thanks. He says, But you did call me, me, and my wife, a, me, me, wife, and me kids, a bunch of cunts, and shoots him in the leg. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm gonna let you just get away with it. I love that part too. He's like, It's, it's a little bit before that, but when Ken sure. goes, Yeah, I know. Where Ken goes. Um, he's like, he's like, you're a cunt. Your family's a cunt. Everybody's a cunt. Your kids are a cunt. He's like, don't call all kids a cunt. Okay, well, they're not cunts. I'll retract it. He's like, yeah, but you call all kids a cunt. <laughs> he's like, well, it's retracted it, did it not? <laughs> it don't count. You already said it. It's already out there. <laughs> and then they just go through this whole battle, and then all of a sudden, the, the guy that got shot in the eye with the blank fucking comes up and tells him, like, hey, 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 like, fucking Colin Farrell's out there on the... <laughs> <laughs> he's out there in the street and so they start running down because uh, we should clarify uh, earlier Colin Farrell got kicked off the off the train because a cop came up to him and it's the there's a there's earlier like when he was on a date with the, his girlfriend there's a the guy this guy the you think he's American you think he's American but he's complaining about Colin Farrell and because he's they're smoking up there so he punches the guy in the face <laughs> like, like he blames like John Lennon's death on it yeah he's like that's funny yeah. there's even a part where it's like he punches like a lady in the face he's like did you just punch that lady he's like no I would never hit a woman a woman with a bottle that's a different story <laughs> you can kill someone with a bottle <laughs> you know? and then so they see him so he gets kicked off the train for that because that's something that happened earlier in the movie they recognize him and then so they're out in the street having a, having a drink and that's when the uh Skinhead Eric sees uh, sees him and goes and tells Harry. Mm-hmm. But I do want to say before that happens, because Harry has to stop and get a gun from a guy, and Eric's there and he has like an eye patch and he's all sad. He's all like, "The doctor tells me I can't see out this eye no more. I can't see out this eye." He's just like, "Oh, it is your fault, isn't it?" He's like, "Oh, what do you mean? I thought you wanted to kill this guy. I do want him dead. I want him fucking crucified. But the fact that you came at a man with a get with a gun with a blanks." Well, it's not really his fault he turned you around and, and stitched you up like a blind little gay boy, is it? <laughs> like a blind little gay boy. I don't know why that's a funny line to me, but it just is. <laughs> Patched you up like a gay little blonde boy. Just, the movie just filled with so much good moments in it. <clears throat> but what if we cut back to the end, and then next thing you know, 
So they find because it's almost like at the point where Harry's gonna say, "Okay, whatever. He got away. I'll just kind of let this go. I don't want to get dick around anymore." But then the second that oh no no, Bray's back in Bruges, something's got to be done. Mm-hmm. So this is the point where he, he I think he shoots um Ken a couple more times or so. And he starts running down the stairs. Yeah, he's going to stop him. And Ken just starts climbing his way back to the top and then fucking jumps off the edge. Pretty much to be... He he knows he's going to die, so he drops his body, you know, I don't know how many stories that is, ten stories or something down. Pretty high just to, like, warn Ray in time to get out of there. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, he's just all, like, messed up when he's on the ground. Kind of shows it kind of quickly. Even part of his hand is, like, literally missing. It's, like, jacked up. Yeah, and his arms are all broken and everything. They do a good job on that. And then you just kind of get this final shootout with a runaway. And this one line I love is Ray runs all the way back to the hotel. To grab a gun. To grab the gun, like this extra gun that he had. And the one he's going to kill himself with. There's <laughs> a part where, like, the lady's there who owns the hotel. And she's, like, got a child. And Ray finds his like, well, he's like, we're not going to have a shootout here, you know. Or whatever. It's like, no, not off the baby here, you know. He's Although not killing kids, he's, he's like, just, oh, "I'm a good man." He's just, I just, I don't want to knock, out, knock you down because I'm a nice person. I just want to, I want to kill him. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's just like a part two where, like, I can't remember like how the lion comes up, but Ray finds like looking around the corner. He's like, "It's like, no, 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 we can't end here. This is the shootout." <laughs> he's all excited about it. <laughs> <laughs> and then he says something to him. He's just like, "All right, I'll tell you what, Harry. You're still just uh, so, just you and me. I'm gonna run out." Jump out the window and try to land in the river. Is, is the river to, is it to my left or to my right? It's a big fucking river. How do you miss it? He's just like, I just fucking got here. I don't know. <laughs> what are you getting mean with me now? He's in the middle of a fucking shootout too. Yeah. <laughs> and then they pretty much go through there, and then they almost come up. There's kind of like some subliminal messages because they see that painting early on of like the Dante's Inferno one, where there's all mm-hmm. the weird shit. Where it's the only time that Ray goes like. He's like, all these other painting things are just like rubbish, but this, this one, this is actually quite good. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, towards the end of the final shootout area, once like Ray's wounded and so on, and they're about to kill each other, there's all these like creatures and masks and so on, and it's supposed to be part of that painting. So you start seeing all this stuff, almost like he's coming to mm-hmm. the end. I guess you could even say it's a Dante's Inferno thing, since they're like tying that sort of in there. I'm not sure if you. I'm not sure if you said this because they're they're going by like the, they're shooting a movie, so he's going by the set. Did you say yeah, that? Yeah. Well, I didn't say yeah. it's that, but yeah, the, the the movie set with the midget is kind of like all tied together in that. But it ties to that photo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thing. And then they just kind of get into like you know a final battle, and then Ray or not Ray, Harry ends up killing Colin Farrell, but in the process, he shoots a kid too, and then goes to take his own life. He's just saying like you just gotta. What's the line he says? You, you gotta, gotta live by your principles. Yeah, you gotta have live by principles and kills himself. But the thing is, he doesn't kill the kid. He accidentally shoots Peter Dinklage. Oh, was that dwarf? Him? Yeah, he accidentally shot Peter Dinklage because Peter Dinklage right. was in a schoolboy outfit. He's like, he thinks he killed a kid. So he thinks he killed a kid, and, and Colin Farrell's still kind of like barely alive. He's like barely. He's like, Harry, no, it's not. He's like, gotta live by your principles. Shoots himself in the head, and that's where Colin Farrell gets. It's just a midget. It's not. It's not a real pose. <laughs> And that's when he loads him into the back of the car, and he's just like, that's when I realize if I live through this, I'm going to go tell the mother and turn myself in. Whatever happens, happens. And I realize maybe dying here is hell. Maybe maybe in Bruges. And then he's just like, and then you just look him back up at the uh, ceiling of the ambulance, cuts to black, and then slow, like, piano violin song. Yeah. I love that tune, though, that plays throughout it. 
And it's, that's so. It's, so it's a very bleak ending, but it's it's very fitting for the movie. And I, I just I love that movie so much. The thing about that movie is it very well could just be not even a dark comedy, just a dark drama. But just the humor. It almost seems like without that humor, the movie would not be nearly as good. It's just like okay, so a couple guys just hanging out, not doing a whole lot. What's this? Then you add in all that fucked up dark comedy. It just makes it a hundred times better. You know what I mean? No, yeah. It's just totally like. Like, you could just rewatch it all the time, and it, it's good every single time. It's not better each time you watch it. And the thing about it is it's not even like, it's not even like a um, upper movie. It doesn't really even, it's not even like, oh, it's a real, it's a feel-good movie. It's not, but regardless, I never get sad when I watch that no, movie. I, I enjoy it so I watch much. It it's just, there's something about it. It's not, it's almost like not downer. I mean, yeah, it sucks that all, all three of them die. Mm-hmm. Just, or, well, no, technically Colin Farrell could live. You don't know. He's been shot like fucking eight times by that point. <laughs> and even if he does live, he's going to probably spend the rest of his life in prison or going on death row. So, I mean, either way, it's a kind of a downer ending. But it's it's fitting. You know what I mean? It is that whole thing. Oh, you can't escape this, you know? No, it works. And yeah, in Bruges, one of the most classic movies I can think of the 2000s. Yeah. Like, you know, I definitely say one of my all-time favorites of that, like, decade. I'd say it's probably one of my top ten favorite movies. Yeah, it, maybe even it's top five. So good. Yeah, but um, going to another one that's pretty much just about as good as In Bruges is Seven Psychopaths. His next follow up, which this, as we said earlier, this was originally going to be a play, but then he decided to cut out of that and not make it a play. He made it into a movie instead. Obviously, well, he got to a point where he was like, you know, I like doing plays; they're cool, they have these things, but I'm not really into it anymore. You know what I mean? Which is kind of like, it's like you do all these plays, it's just kind of like, you know what? Fuck you guys! I'm doing movies. See ya! <laughs> yeah, I kinda, it was fun while it lasted. It was fun. It was like, you know, something to do like while you're waiting to make a movie. Well, this one, I could say... I could say want some real actors, not you <laughs> over-the-top motherfuckers. Just like, just totally burning his play bridge. <laughs> well, actually, one of the plays, Christopher Walken was actually the star in one of the plays. So, yeah. Uh, and uh, this one, he, he gets it back. This, this one is like, I can say this. This one definitely feels a lot more autobiographical. And on top of that, it also because aside from aside from like you know uh, just being about a writer, mm-hmm. the main character's name is Martin and he's Irish. Yeah. Well, the other thing too is going back to Ambrose really quickly is that one. It's like he said that there, he made that one because he went on a trip to Ambrose and he's like, I was at first I was having this great time. I was like, man, there's all these cool things to see, all these places to go. And he's like, about three hours into it, I started having this other part of my brain going. Yeah, but, you know, it's just okay. You know, not that great. And he's like, I started having these conflicting things, and that's how he made the two... The two characters were based off his feelings of him Bruce. Like, how he... In one, he really did enjoy it and like it, but the other half was kind of like, eh, I'm kind of bored. <laughs> <laughs> I can see that. I can definitely see that. But no, Seven Psychopaths definitely does have that feel, which, here's a cool little factoid that came up on that movie. This ties into, like, our stories of, like, Expendables. But originally, Mickey Rourke dropped out of Expendables 2, answers the question why he's not in that movie and why he doesn't have a... It's not because he has a big dick tattooed on his back. <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> or Stallone's back, I guess, technically what it was, and that's why he got kicked out of Expendables, <laughs> our theory on it. Mm-hmm. But he was going to play the Woody Harrelson character. Really? Which would have been like, okay, I'll say this. I think the Woody Harrelson character is a much better choice, but it would have been still interesting just to see Mickey Rourke in that... It sounds weird because I just don't picture Mickey work nearly as funny. Like I feel that that role might have been a little bit more serious if he did it. I think it's one of those things. It's funny because you got this big, 
scary, intimidating guy, kind of holding like, I love this little dog. Look at this little dog. You know what I mean? He's like a very... Like, he and just... I, I will say, I think when it's Woody Harrelson, though, it does up the comedy factor. Because no matter what, like, I don't know what it is about Woody Harrelson. He can play every kind of role, but he always kind of makes me laugh. He can do the most serious, fucked up thing ever, but I'm still kind of laughing. I don't know why that is. It's something about just, like, his charisma and just him doing it. Well, I'll say this. Even though I love Woody Harrelson, he isn't really the funny part of the movie. He's a good character. That he's like just kind of angry, and it's more of like the humor kind of comes out of him just being so kind of blunt and angry about certain things. He doesn't really have because the, the main source of humor in this movie is probably uh, the two main sources of humor. Actually, no, I'll, I'll say three. technically mostly. Three. I mean, it's kind of like I'd say uh, Sam Rockwell is probably the main source. of Sam it. Rockwell, and then like I'm going to say um, Christopher Walken for being kind of like awkward and kind of quiet and then thirdly i would just say colin farrell not so much for being like he says a lot of funny shit it's more of just his reaction to shit going on like there's a part like the part i mean we'll, we'll get to the this main part of the reason why like when the car blows up he says that's just fucking great you know what that is fucking great you know just like how he's just just trying to like kind of hold it all together the whole well, time because colin farrell's really he's he's the only normal person in the movie in mm-hmm. a sense. He's just a... Yeah, even though he writes screenplays, but he's just a regular kind of guy. It's almost like he's not really even a famous screenwriter. He's just like, you know... He's got this small little Hollywood, you know, apartment or L.A. apartment and everything. And then he's just got his buddy who's this out-of-work actor, but he's just like... He's kind of like a... You can tell in the beginning he's just like he's a little bit over the edge because it starts off the first time you see him. Well, technically not the first time you see him. He's the off. second time you see him. Yeah, it's like he, he ends up like punching out the director at a casting call. <laughs> you don't see him. He just talks about like, yeah, punch the director guy. I'm like, why'd you punch the director guy? He's being a dick. <laughs> Fuck him. <laughs> You're never gonna get another job. Oh, who cares? <laughs> and like, it's one of those things where I mean, I you definitely see kind of like a lot of um, the the character. And six shooter, the young guy in like in um uh in uh Sam Rockwell. Sam Rockwell in this movie. Sam Rockwell who plays Billy, uh, uh, uh Colin Farrell plays Marty, which you know Martin McDonough. So I think I'm pretty sure it's meant to be uh like somewhat autobiographical. Uh, Christopher Walken's character name is Hans. In this movie, I mean, I think this one's a little harder to break down because I think this movie's pretty layered. I mean, it's a great movie still, but I will say this one is much more of a dark comedy. Where I think in Bruges, it's dark comedy definitely, but it's so it's like doesn't go by. It doesn't have a dark comedy story. It's just a very dark story, and just shit happens in it that just happens to be ridiculously funny. Where this one, this is a comedy. It's a dark well, this comedy. It's a dark comedy, but it's definitely, act, and it's almost more of an action too. It's got more action scenes in it than. Like, and Bruce just has moments of action. Mm-hmm. This also seems to be kind of like, it's about storytelling, but beyond that, it also seems to be a little bit more of a, um, kind of a critique on people that were sort of inspired by Tarantino. They never say that, but it's, for a minute, it almost seems like you're watching one of those movies that came out, like, in the mid-90s that was trying really hard to be a Tarantino movie that wasn't a Tarantino movie. And there's there are some good movies on like on that. That'd be a fun podcast to do is just to, to, like talk about like all those handful of like Tarantino kind of like ripoff movies, but the ones that are kind of good, you know, like a Boondock Saints or and Guy Way Ritchie. of the Gun. Yeah, you can, Guy Ritchie is kind of like almost a perfect example. It's like the British Tarantino. I think Guy Ritchie kind of stands out more on his own, but I think you could definitely see some early ta- you could see some Tarantinoists in him. Yeah. But yeah, this definitely is trying to make kind of like like you said, commentary on things like Way of the Gun or 
Um, or <laughs> Way of the Gun. There's a movie that probably nobody talks about. Cause I, mean, I like you know. Way of the Gun. That's I a good do movie. it. It's a joy one. It's got a great ending fucking shootout. That's like it. one of the coolest shootouts I've seen in the movie. Yeah. yeah. And a uh, very Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid kind of ending. Um, but then uh, only actually see the shootout. <laughs> exactly. So. But uh, so this one, I think it's kind of a commentary on that and just on different ways of telling, tor- uh, telling stories. And also just on different ways of being like passive. And I also like, too, because it's sort of like each character represents, like, a different version of, like, how you would want to tell a story. Like, everybody's kind of got their own way. Like, I like how Saddam Rockwell is the guy. He wants guns ablaze, and he wants women getting shot for no reason at all. He just wants, like, that, like, almost like the stereotypical action movie is his favorite one. He's just, like, explosions, people are getting shot, but getting back up and keep shooting again. Almost like, it's not really logical, but it's just really fun. And then, like... Uh, been like uh, Hans, the uh, the Christopher Walken character. He's not even into action movies. He's like, he's he likes very artsy stuff. He likes very well thought stories. And then Marty is somewhere right in the middle. Martin's uh-huh. the one that's trying to like he has writer's block and he's trying his best to come up with the story. But he's try he doesn't know where he's going with this. He's like, so I want to make the story about like a psychopath. But the thing is, he's a Buddhist. He doesn't kill people. But he's a psychopath and. <laughs> I, I don't know. I'll figure something out. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I think I'm dropping the Buddhist character. <laughs> and then you, the, the th- other thing about the movie is, because it's called Seven Psychopaths, but really it's, um, I'm not complaining none. The Seven Psychopaths, some of them really aren't even in the actual movie. They're more of like kind of within stories, within a story. Because this movie is very meta, it is very self-aware. And this one, I think, it's definitely way more complex than in Bruges. But it's still really funny and really mm. entertaining and actually has some real sincere moments. Because, like, I think... You're about to say something. Go ahead. I was going to say, because, like, just, like, some of the ones... The one psychopath I always think is a really cool one is, like, the Vietnamese guy. And this and this kind of goes through the whole movie. You see these little snippets of this. And at first, Colin Farrell's like, he's like, I just like seeing a Vietnamese guy, like, dressed like a, like a priest. Is he a priest? No, he's not a priest. But something about a Vietnamese guy sitting on a bed with a hooker, with, you know, dressed like a priest with a revolver, I, I just like... Like, and you just at first, so it's like they almost introduce these things. It's almost like you see a movie getting written as the movie goes on. Mm-hmm. So maybe, like, I will say, if you're into storytelling, this movie actually has a much bigger impact than somebody who just says, like, hey, I just want to see a movie that's kind of funny with some action in it. Mm-hmm. Maybe it doesn't, like, grab as well. Because I really like Seven Psychopaths. I would say it's almost just as good as in Bruce. And Bruce to me is maybe a little bit more classic. Mm-hmm. But Seven Psychopaths, like, it's just like a pure perfect movie. Like, there is nothing wrong with it. It's still, it, it definitely is, I will say, to me, regardless of the ending, this is a feel-good movie to me. Yeah. I think this definitely is a feel-good movie for me. And lots of people die and there's a lot of violence. But, I mean, <laughs> it is one of those things where... You have, uh, like, I did, like what you said, I think a lot of people, if you do tell stories, this does have a much more bigger impact on you, because I talked to some people who saw the movie, and they just didn't like it. They didn't hate it, but like, you know, it just didn't do nothing for me. I mean, it was kind of funny, but I didn't really understand there's all these stories going on. And I think a lot of people, I'm not trying to sound like elitist here, but I think a lot of people, they just didn't get there watching a a very meta, self-aware movie. And the movie's almost kind of rewriting itself as it goes on. As the movie changes... As the movie goes on, it's almost kind of like someone's rewriting it. Like, no, 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 wait, this should happen. Because, you know, that's kind of what's going on as he's writing the script. And it's not like, it's not like, whatchamacallit, um, Stranger, Stranger Than Fiction, where it's some kind of fantasy force changing it. But it's literally, yeah. while he is trying to focus on this script, he's using his surroundings as an inspiration. But the movie just takes so many wild turns, you really don't know which narrative turn it's going to go by the end. 
No, yeah, and I think that's what I really like about it too. But I have heard some people say that like they found the movie kind of boring. I was just like that. And I was like, oh, really? It's like I thought that was a fantastic movie. In fact, we put it down as our 2012 greatest movie of the year. Like what ended up happening is uh, so the short and simple of it is because um, there's so many stories within this movie. The short and simple of it is. Mar uh, Marty, is, who's played by Colin Farrell, is a writer who's an alcoholic, and he's having trouble. He just broke up with his, his girlfriend. Just broke up with him. His best friend is Sam Rockwell, who is off doing other things. He's an actor. He has trouble getting gigs because he's a little bit of a psycho, and he's just off. He's also a dog ki ki kidnapper with um, Hans. with Hans, who is the uh, Christopher Walken character. And the thing is, the reason why he's doing like dog kidnapping, it's like they'll kidnap a dog, and then they'll wait for wanted like missing signs to go up. They'll bring the dog, dog back to him, get two hundred, three hundred dollars, whatever. And they use Christopher Walken because he just looks like a nice old man. Like well, this guy clearly went and steal a dog. Exactly. Sam Sam Rockwell came up. You'd look like that motherfucker stole my dog. Exactly. So then they end up. So they're, so they're doing that, and the reason why Hans is doing it, you don't really know why Billy's doing it, but the reason why Hans is doing it because he desperately needs money for his wife. His yes. wife who's dying, and uh, I really love the dynamic between the wife, because they, they have, like, these weird little kind of awkward things, but it's almost, I think that's really believable, believable and very relatable, because they'll do this thing where he says, like, what are you doing? She's like a, she's an old black lady, and she says something to the line of, like, why are you doing what you're doing? He says, like, could she get a job for the government? He says, government? People stealing from other people? Then all of a sudden he's just all, like, does this weird, like, spitting, pecking motion, she yeah, kind of laughing, like an old, goes like, to goes to her, like, almost like a Jewish thing. Yeah, going, you know, almost like a very comical, kind of very over the top. It's very kind of weird and awkward. Well, it's like, so, it's something, it's like something if, if you had grandparents from like Eastern Europe, might have deal. Yeah, and it's kind of like something they're laughing. They, they, she kind of smiles. They get it. So this is something that's it's like we don't get it, but it's something between. Okay, we're Americans. Well, no, no. Well, I'm just saying. I mean, it's there's something there. The audience member doesn't totally get i think i think it's more of like oh well that's just something between them we're not going to explain what that is but that's, well, that's a cultural thing though the whole pip, pip, that yeah. thing oh it literally is yeah it's like jewish thing. people do that and then um he's polish in that movie they do that oh okay now i feel so, dumb now i feel really fucking stupid that's what i said because we're americans you know you know it's like you know it's not common to see somebody do that so i thought that was just some you like, see, I, if people do that they're mostly spitting tobacco out i figured it was something <laughs> like that but i thought he was more doing it just kinda like that's their thing that's a joke between them which i think most audience members would probably pick up on that you know what i mean i think that kind of works yeah i think you know. <laughs> What? <laughs> I think you're the guy that thinks that. I thought apparently it's apparently it's a it's a big thing in like Poland. I didn't know about that, but the way I viewed it was it was just something kind of like you see like in Mel Brooks movies and stuff. Yeah, I guess I just assumed it was one of those things. Like, where's, where's your Jewish reference? A Mel Brooks movie. Yeah. <laughs> well, they, ha they have a lot of small little things, kind of like that, you know, like between them, just things that seem kind of like old things like awkward things older people do that you don't see a whole lot but it's between them and it kind of makes it a little bit more believable since it's between you know what I mean and what I kind of like too is just Christopher Walken he's pretty much just this old gangster guy but now he's just a very like calm old man mm -hmm. and the wife almost feels like she's like totally the exact opposite of that you know mm -hmm. and it's one of those ones because she even says like why do you gotta do stealing you know and it's like before he's like why don't you get a government job well Stealing, stealing, no matter what. I don't feel like I'm doing anything better. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's just that kind of thing. And I, I kind of like the charm of that character. He's just this guy who, like, they never really explain, like, you know, he probably did some horrible things in the past. They don't really ever get too much into it. A little bit, but not They, they do much. a little bit, but not, like, enough. Like, because you don't know, like, that you, you know that he's been doing that. Obviously, he stole a bunch back in the day. 
all sorts of things. Mm-hmm. And now it's just this guy just trying to save his wife. Yeah, and then we then we find out one of the dogs that they stole was the Shih Tzu right, that Woody from Woody Harrelson, who is the t- who is a big mob mob guy somewhere. Could have been Mickey Rourke. Who apparently almost was Mickey Rourke, which but that would have been really interesting. I think Martin McDonough McDonough uh, got like like somehow him and uh, Mickey Rourke got in a feud, and then Mickey Rourke's like fuck this and left, <laughs> and then he's like Stallone, take me back in. Stone, sorry, man, you missed the boat. Oops. Go back to your Irish boy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then I don't know what happened to Mickey Rourke after that point. He just went back to like wait for Sin City too. <laughs> Well, luckily he got Sin City too. Yeah, but then, then like Woody Harrelson's kind of on this uh, on this hunt, and like even his whole gang, like his whole gang, like his gang is I don't remember the actor's name, but he's in a bunch of stuff. He's like he always plays like some low level mob guy or crime is that the guy. Bald, the bald guy? Not the bald guy. He was actually you know who he is. He was there is that sitcom Grounded for Life, uh-huh. and he was the weird uncle. He was the weird awkward uncle in that show, and he was also he was like. The guy who had the house party and super bad. He was the guy oh, okay. in like Pineapple Express who wasn't like- Tracy Morgan. And he's also he was also in Departed and like, you know, he was like Leo's like cokehead like cousin. He's like, You're gonna stop doing coke deals, you stupid fucking cousin, you know. That's right, I forgot. So he so yeah, he's in all sorts of things. He does a great job in this movie, yeah. Well, the one thing, too, is I like about Woody Harrelson is he's probably the worst of them all because he's just a big gangster guy, but it's just so funny to see that- the most toughest guy you can think of, and then like, but he has this extreme love for his dog. Yeah, he just loves this dog, and that's like the only thing he fucking it brings cares. him happiness. This little, this little Shih Tzu. And the thing is, the Shih Tzu, it's adorable, but it has no personality. It's not like you have to be running in circles. It's just jump. a toy dog. It's yeah. just, it's just like kind of like it always looks bored. It never barks. It's always just kind of there. And there's even like you know Sam Rockwell. Even like has he tries to be really friendly with the dog. This is like he's getting ready to go to a party. He says like shake paw. Dog just looks at him. Pa, that's okay too. Just walks right past the dog. <laughs> but I like too because like Sam Rockwell, he takes this dog, but he almost becomes attached to it just as much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then because they even have a feud in the end, like whose dog is it really now? Yeah, there's even a part. I mean, we're jumping to the end, but there's a part where he sees. He's like, he has a gun of the dog. This, I'll, I'll shoot this fucking dog, and I love this dog. <laughs> <laughs> but um. But then you get to, uh, so then like what ends up happening is they track down the dog and Mar- Marty just happens to be hanging out at the warehouse where they're, where they're kidnapping all the dogs. And within this time, he and his girlfriend broke up and uh, he's just, just hung over, just like, I don't want to fucking be here. And there's also earlier on, we get like one or two quick scenes of it. There is this guy calling himself Jack of Diamonds, walking around in the red mask, killing people and then leaving a Jack of Diamonds card at the crime scene. He's only killing mob bosses. And the very beginning of the movie opens up with these two guys having this very Tarantino, not even Tarantino, like a rip-off Tarantino conversation. Oh yeah, just, just a conversation about nothing. Yeah, yeah. And then like about like, we're going to kill this lady? I'm like, oh yeah, we're going to kill this lady. And it's actually even a funny conversation. I do enjoy that conversation. But I, I feel like he was almost trying to mimic other movies, like intentionally, like jokingly mimic other movies that kind of do that, you know? Mm-hmm. No, no, I think so. Plus it's kind of a neat scene too because all of a sudden they're like on this dam. And they're just waiting. They're just waiting to do this, like, hit. And then all of a sudden, like, after about, like, six minutes or so of this conversation, that's like a... I don't even think there's any cuts. I think it's just one single long take. You just see this guy off in the distance just walking towards him. You don't think anything of it at first, because so, he's so small, you can't even tell, because there's other people walking by, running, and so on. 
And he gets closer and closer. You go, wait a second, well, is he wearing a red hat? And he's like, oh, no, no, he's just wearing a red, like, face mask. And then he comes up, and then you're like, oh, he's going to shoot him. And then, boom, boom, shoots him open the back of the head. Credits roll. That's the intro of the movie. But it's just, it's a really cool one, because you just see it coming from a long ways away. It opens up with a cover of First Cut is the, uh, First Cut is the Deepest. Yeah. Yeah, like, like a woman singing. And then that's, then the movie picks up from there. And then, um, what saves Marty and Hans is that guy... They go back to Sam Rockwell's house, and Marty's just trying to grasp all this thing. Like, what the fuck's going on? And within this time, that's where Tom Waits' character comes in. Tom, like, earlier, uh, Billy put in the ad, like, you got a crazy psycho story? Well, come by, because talk to my friend, because he's writing a crazy psycho story, you know? We'll share your shit on there! And then that's where you, that Tom Waits talks. And this where this almost, like, relates back to Six Shooter, because he's got the rabbit. Yeah, because he has, he just walks around the rabbit, and it just, he just seems awkward as fuck, too. He's just like... Are you the guy? He's just like, did you? Uh, are you guys? Are you guys left the uh, message on my machine about like shitting on, like eating my heart and taking a big fat shit on me? He's like, no, I wouldn't do that. He's like, kind of changes his facial expression, turns his head slightly. Like, all right, you seem cool. We gotta go inside because we got this. <laughs> he stole this dog from a gangster. Okay. <laughs> Everybody's just totally fine with it. Then he tells this story to Marty about how he killed, how he and his wife killed nearly every major serial killer over the last, like, 30, 40 years. And he even talks because, like, his wife was, like, a, a pretty much abused by a serial killer and, like, her family was all chopped up and murdered her friends or whoever they were. Mm-hmm. And from that experience, she and him, like, he saved her, so they went on this rampage, almost like a God Bless America one, but instead going off and just getting different serial, serial killers. And they have some really cool ways of, like, killing him and all this stuff, too. Just all the different ones that go through the decades... And, to- and through it, you almost find that, like, that Tom Waits' character was actually more of a normal person, but his wife was, was really psychopath. into it. She yeah. was really into she, it. She, she kind of was... did the thing where she went from being, like, somebody who was just a victim to now that she has almost become the same thing that they are, where <laughs> she really, like, it's not just she's killing them anymore. She is now, like, torturing to kill them. And then, like, there's even a part where they come across, like, the Zodiac Killer, and you're thinking... Is that really the Zodiac Killer, or is that just, like, a uh, made-up... You know what I mean? You're not really sure if that really is the Zodiac Killer. Because they'll say the name of the killer right before they kill him. And you see this old hippie-looking guy with all these rabbits hop around his front yard. And then she, Maggie comes up. She's like, get in the fucking house! She has, like, a machete and a knife. They literally put, like, stab these dudes' hands down into the, into the, into the table, light him on fire with gasoline, and then, like... Tom Waits' character, Jebedi- uh, Zach- Zachariah, is like, no, Maggie, don't! He literally, he's at the point where I can't do this no more. Yeah, and then this she, has gone too far. And then, like, he's burnt to a crisp, and there's this great shot of the two of them sitting in his front yard. You see his burnt corpse in the window, and all these rabbits hopping all over the place. And then she just kind of cries, like, oh, well, we got nothing between each other anymore. She takes off her wedding ring, gives it to him, cries, and then leaves. And then takes off in the car. And then you see his big regret. regret. I didn't notice this the first time in the movie for whatever reason. Then you realize it's like, oh wait, no, I should have been with her. I should have been helping her the whole time. To stop her, yeah. Because he, no, not stop her, because he realized that actually, because he he was questioning, is this really, I I think this would happen. He wasn't sure if that really was the Zodiac Killer. And then he finds the room where you see all the newspaper clippings everywhere and has the Zodiac sign spray painted into the wall. So it's like, oh, fuck, she was right the whole time. You know, so now he kind of lost it. Yeah, but I think also it had something to do with the fact that he feels that, like, 
with her by herself, she might become this ultimate psychopath. Because technically, he was just more like an Avenger. Mm-hmm. You know, he was like the Punisher. <laughs> Tom Waits Tom is, is the, the Punisher. Punisher. <laughs> Have you ever I seen like... Tom Waits in concert before? Like a video no, or something like that? No, I haven't. One time he played, and this is before I even knew who, who he was. It was at the Bridge School Benefit. And, you know, as we're waiting for Paul McCartney to come out, you know, maybe Neil Young hadn't played yet. Like, Tom Waits comes out, and it was just like the weirdest music ever. It's like, I don't even know. Angry was, pirate music almost. Yeah, angry, scary Jewish pirate music. It was just like. <laughs> you couldn't even understand what he was saying, it was, but it was kind of cool at the same time, but kind of weird. And, like, couldn't even. Like, I almost, like, the older I got, it was like, I almost appreciated it a little bit more because it's just so fucking weird. When you're a kid, you're like, that sounds fucking dumb. Like, come on, do something, you know, like, you're, fucking Paul McCartney's coming up. Don't fucking disgrace him like that. <laughs> I have him, we'll get back to the movie in a second, I have him, I went to the uh, library and burned him onto my laptop, and I got, like, I got, I got it sitting on my iPod, I listened to a little bit of a song, and I was just kind of like, what the fuck is this? It's just, it's so weird, but I, I almost give him so much credit for making just weird ass shit. I need to sit down and really listen to it, I gotta really just sit down, get a nice glass of whiskey, and just sit there and just really take it in and just really study it. I think that's kind of what his music is. I should go back and listen to it because I don't really, because other than that concert, that was like my only real experience. He and Keith Richards, I know, are like best friends. They do stuff together. Mm -hmm. But anyway, uh, so he tells the story. Marty's like, oh my God, yeah, I'm going to use that story. He says, if you do use it, my only only request is you put my number up at the end of the movie asking her to call me. He's like, yes, yes, I'll do that. I put my life on it. So thank you. And then he leaves. Uh, now, there's also another story. We'll probably get the side stories out of the way. Earlier, Marty tells the story about he wants to write... A, one of the psychopaths in his movie is this is this Vietnamese guy dressed like a priest holding a, snu- holding a snub-nosed revolver and has a hooker, and the hooker basically just kind of... He, like, straps the hooker with dynamite and takes her to, the, to like, this convention with all these... Uh, Vietnam veterans because this guy was a master killer back in the Vietnam War on the Viet Cong side but his but family the military but the Americans came by and raped and pillaged his village so he's up out for revenge which is like really it's almost like a full movie on that guy would be interesting would be awesome but then like the cool thing too is like so that's like kind of like the middle section of it because it starts off where it just explains who he is then it goes into detail like what he's doing and then like this is almost towards the end of the movie but you can almost say it anyways is that this last kind of recording that Christopher Walken leaves, because they're all kind of writing the story at this point, and by having each person have their own kind of opinion in there, you know, Sam Rockwell wants to turn into the super action picture. In between, Colin Farrell sort of wants, you know, I want to, you know, maybe there'll be some shooting, but it's more about these characters. And then you got Christopher Walken's like, you got to put emotion and heart and feel into it. Mm-hmm. And he leaves, he's like, and he's talking about the Vietnamese guy, and he goes, you know, he does this great. It's like it's almost like a. 10 minute monologue if that maybe not even that long but it's still he goes on just kind of explaining how all these things should go and how that like he goes in there and this guy's got a little bit more to him like he's over here in the US he's trying to find him and he gets to this point where he keeps hearing somebody saying like brother no you can't do this you can't do this as he's doing all these things and then it cuts this is almost like the short and sweet version of it but it cuts from him blowing up this place to him doing it a completely different way where he's like the protesting guy in the Rage Against the Machine (laughs) (laughs) word verbatim (laughs) because that came out before then (laughs) but um he's on there and he's gonna burn himself in protest instead against the Americans Mm -hmm. 
and the score they play, because the score is pretty simple, but the score they play over that scene, and he says, brother, this won't help. Then he says, it might. Yeah, that's it. And just like that right there, that alone, it just kind of like, I'm not going to lie, that, part, that part's a little bit of a tearjerker. Right? Oh, and it's like, well, this one's like, when I explain it, when we explain it, it's, it's kind of just short and quick, but like when you see Christopher Walken just doing it, and they got footage going over it, how it's going down, it, it is just a really well put stuff seen in there and i just love the score the movie has i mean it's a very simple score but it's just it's like very just the score as the guy lights himself and it just it's building it's building and then all of a sudden when it suddenly comes to him covered in gasoline it slows down it just has this very soft melody kind of calming noise and then it right as he lights and then it just kind of continues you know yeah no it, it's great and then i guess like some of the other psychopaths there's one about like the preacher this is like within like not the actual story but within the story they're telling right yeah here. this part for for like Colin Farrell's script and then you have the preacher one and that was like there's a man who there's a Quaker and his daughter was brutally murdered so so this guy went to jail and the, 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 I'm not sure if I already said this the daughter who was br- uh, brutally murdered was the daughter of a Quaker and as the guy the murder changed the murder became a better person then he got out of prison like, it was like 25 years later. It's like some ridiculous, like, way later on he gets out. And then for 10 or 15 years, the Quaker is from a distance just haunting him. Just looking at him and just always there. Always there staring at him, not letting him forget. And this murderer guy, you know, in the story it's like, you know, he became, he became a better man. And since he found God, he did all these things. He just wanted to become this simpleton person. He know he did wrong, but he's trying to make up for what he did. And yeah, and then for 10 years, no matter what, he's haunted by this quick man. He's just like, is always out there, out the window, wherever he goes, he's just off there in the distance, following him like a ghost almost. To remind him of what he did. And then, one, then like, he, he got so religious, he knows there's the one commandment that if you kill yourself, you're guaranteed a spot in hell. So he knew the Quaker wasn't going there. So he went, to, so he looked out his window one day, pulled out a razor, slit his throat looking at the Quaker. And the Quaker did the exact same thing looking him in the eye. So he is following him to hell. hell which is like so badass. <laughs> then, like each one of these little stories could almost be their own movie and it would totally work. Yeah. They work in like a 10 minute snippet but they could also be a full-fledged movie and it would be just as enjoyable. That's what I think makes this movie kind of cool. Is there's so much like in it. It's only an hour and 50 minutes long but there's a copious amount of stories being told. So then as Woody Harrelson those all little stories within the movie. So as Woody Harrelson tracks down uh, Billy and Mar- uh, Marty and Hans, they all start to they, he find he tracks it down to uh, to uh, Hans's wife who's in the cancer ward. And the th- unfortunate thing is she just she came out all right. She beat breast cancer. Mm-hmm. Problem is Woody Harrelson just found her, and they have this very nice conversation. Almost this kind of like, well, I don't want to kill her, but. Uh, she don't tell me where he is. I'm gonna have to kill when her. And too, it's like almost like he doesn't really. I think because he does the thing, it's like, oh well, she's black, so this is probably like some other lady. It's, whoever I'm here for is probably not here. So she kind of does the thing, like, oh yeah, she's you know in surgery. I can't remember what he says. She says, but something like yeah. that. And so at first, they just think that they're just having a regular conversation with just the other patient in the room mm-hmm. until he starts to realize, oh wait a second, this is her. This this is her. You know. And then he goes to kill her. And then that's when Hans comes in and finds her. And then he just says, like, why don't you just, uh, he's just like, 
You can just tell me. That's all you gotta do is tell me. She's like, you can you can find him yourself, dumbass. Like, all right, goodbye. Just shoots her in the back of the head, and she's just embracing it, because she sees him coming from the window from the parking lot. So then, like, then like then Han then he Han sees Woody Harrelson and like the uh, one of one of his goons leaving the room. He says, "I'm gonna find that dog motherfucker, that dog napping motherfucker." And then Han's just he's like, "Is this the guy?" He just walks past the room. So, he does, the, so it doesn't look like he's Han. Then he goes back and you just see him sitting there, not bawling, not crying, just sitting there, very, very just stoic, just very stone face next to the corpse of his wife. And this is the thing I like about the Han's character. He is very much, very much a like, he's he he. He is passive, but he likes to mentally fuck with you. That's what he does. He likes to get back at you by making you reflect on your own things you've done wrong. Mm -hmm. And then he comes across him. He sits directly across from Woody Harrelson in the waiting room, looks at him. He's like, oh, what's that thing you got there? He's like, it's a cravat. He says, oh, it's something of a bygone era. He's like, yeah, you could have it. He's like, I don't want it. Then He's like, no, I insist. Then he pulls it off. He has this slash mark across his neck and just like Woody Harrelson's freaked out like I want your fucking cravat man and just walks out just freaked out and then like after he like you know and like, and like um, Hans is smiling just kind of like and as soon as he walks out of frame he just gets back to this like this motherfucker and he's just putting it back on like almost kind of like just very indignant just like you know yeah exactly <laughs> no because that's good because the whole time he's wearing this and you always just kind of wonder what's underneath there I wasn't worried. I just like, oh, he's just being an old-fashioned dude. But then you see, oh, shit. And that's when those things to flag. Like, wait a minute. Because well, his outfits change, but that never changes. I mean, you just think back on the Quaker for a minute. You're like, oh. Yeah, I'm just like, I wonder. And then later, as they're running, you find out, like, what, like, Sam Rockwell's dating this girl, apparently. And everyone's like, oh, you don't got a girlfriend. Who's this girlfriend? And you, you find out it's actually, um, you find out it's the girl. It's the, uh, Woody Harrelson's girlfriend. The girl, the guy's... The hitman at the very beginning of the movie, uh -huh. they were actually out to kill her because her name was Julia. Mm -hmm. So, oh no, Angela. Angela. Her name was Angela. Oh, yeah, that's that's right. what it was. And they were waiting there to kill her. And you find out that that Sam Rockwell has been waiting. It's like, this is what, like Sam Rockwell has so many funny little lines in this movie as they're waiting there. She's like, turns out, you know that boy, you know, you know your mob boss boyfriend? I kidnapped this fucking dog. Like, why would the fuck would you kidnap his dog? And he's like, he says he's just got to be a decent person and just pay me the money. That's the thing they do. They just give the dog. To, they just give Patty her stuff. Only I'm not going to lock her in a closet for ten years and make her rob a bank. <laughs> <laughs> well, then she goes to call Woody Harrelson, and then he has to end up killing her. That's one of the things I do feel bad for her because she is like a uh, she, she's just kind of there. But it's one of those things like I do feel bad. She it's literally his example because earlier later on in the movie. Christopher Walken makes a joke at Mark Marty's script saying, your woman characters are horrible. They're just there for a minute to look hot. And if, maybe, they might die later. You know? <laughs> they have no real... He's like, they can barely string a sentence together. Before they die. And this is literally what happens. This girl, it's actually, she's a Bond girl. She was the girl from Quantum of Solace. Oh, that's right. And I, for, I always have trouble pronouncing her name. It's Olga something. I always have trouble with her name. But um, she was the girl from Quantum of Solace. The, not the one that got dropped in the oil. Yeah, the other one. But she... You just feel so bad for her. Because she's literally there in like, you know, just in a, basically in her bra and underwear. Kind of like they're about to fuck. And then that's the... He says something. It's just like some of the shit Sam Rockwell says. He says something like... 
Really, Sam Rockwell's the one who, like, like he's almost like the best character of the entire movie. Like, I love everybody in it, but man, this is like one of his best roles he's ever been in. <laughs> he says something in a line. Like, I think one of my favorite lines he has. He says something kind of like, oh, I gotta get a con, this fucking con, I'm just limp dick piece of shit and he's like look at that fucking thing he's just like it's okay baby you don't need you don't need to use it i trust you he's just like no it's not me i'm worried about it's that mob boss you're getting who knows what shit that prick's giving you <laughs> and, says, and then as she gets up she's all pissed he's like what i didn't mean like aids They're like chlamydia or something and he just repeats it he's eating cheetos he's all like baby i just meant like you know chlamydia i didn't mean aids or nothing like that and as he's eating cheetos he's then it's like the small things i don't think even she even notices but he's eating cheetos and then he's kind of just stroking her hair <laughs> he's eating it like a dog yeah and she doesn't realize it and that's when he that's when he drops the bombs yeah i kidnapped the shih tzu and i feel bad for her because you know she is just kind of a crossfire but i mean it fits it makes sense for his character because he is kind of a psycho and she's not really meant to be that likable of a character i mean she probably she probably don't deserve death but she's you know dating this woody harrelson character yeah, so she, seen, you know she can't be like super good but she died yeah but it, i mean it kind of works in context of the movie so, and it also kind of plays, it, the movie acknowledges it, saying like, yeah, the female characters in this script, they just die, and they can hardly string a sentence together. So, and it's just like, yeah, we know. So it's almost kind of like making fun of that kind of like stereotype by bringing it into the actual movie. Yeah, it's like you got female, because that's how some action movies are. And like, you can say that a lot of times, unless it's a female action, you know, character, you know, Generally, if you're watching a movie that just has Dolph Lundgren in it, it's kind of like, well, I just assume I'm here to watch Dolph Lundgren kick ass. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know? So then they just kind of get out into the uh, desert, and that's where they're trying to just hang out there and just trying to last, and they're just camping out there. Hans, Marty, as well as Billy. And that's where they kind of just play in their different ideas. They're just talking about Marty's script. Like, well, like, you know, I just, I, I, within that time, though, uh, Hans also drops on them. You know, uh, that Quaker story? Because Marty said... Earlier they mentioned offhand, like... That, like, Marty heard that story from... Marty heard that story from somewhere else. But he's adapting it and changing a little bit. And then... Well, he got it from, um... Sam Billy. Yeah, yeah, he got it from Billy. And then that's when Billy's all like... Yeah, Billy's kind of like, oh, shit. He knows I told his story. Because that's when, like... Hans pulls the scarf off. He's like, so, did you come up with that story all by yourself? Like, what the fuck? And then he's like, yeah, that's actually my story. That actually happened to me... And then Billy told that story to him without it actually... Be, then he didn't realize he was going to adapt it to his script. So then from there, they start bouncing ideas off. And this is probably one of the best parts of the movie. Which is, throughout there, Billy wants to say his version of the movie. <laughs> which, and I love this because then it plays it out. And it's like all the action of the movie kind of comes in this spot. But it's still... It's over the top. It just brings in all the characters. It's like, alright, so the Jack of Diamonds... And the, oh, I forgot to mention. We realize right when... Billy kills the girl, uh, Angela. That that's where you realize, oh wait, he's the Jack of Diamonds. He leaves a card. I mean, I kind of already figured it out. I'm not trying to sound like this guy. I kind of already saw it coming, but I mean, it works for the movie. You got to drop that at some point, you know. Yeah. So, is he uh, kill? So he's go. He's going on. He's like, okay. So the Jack of Diamonds is hanging out in this graveyard, and then all of a sudden the mob boss comes in. It's Woody Harrelson, and they're kind of self editing. Like, why would he be there? He surely know he'd, he'd come up there, like armed and double cross him, like. You're right. So that's why he had guys hiding in the trees. <laughs> There's guys that come out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, Hans is there. He's like killing people left and right. The Jebediah and the uh, old black lady are there. They're killing people. You know, the Viet Cong guy's there with a fucking flamethrower. Just jumps in, just starts setting people on fire. And then that's where like, and then like uh, at some point like, he says like, 
I think the last one of the last people go is like the, the old black lady. So then she goes down, but the rabbit gets away. Because remember, all like the woman could die, all the animals live. <laughs> <laughs> he's all serious about it. <laughs> and then like so, so it gets down just to Marty. He's like Marty's there. He's just trying to survive. He's just trying to like you know he's like writing. <laughs> he's like writing. You're writing because this is like inspiration for your story. Okay, so you're just writing this shit down. It's okay. No one thinks you're a pussy. You know. But that's when your ex girlfriend comes in. It's like I'm sorry. It's pouring rain all of a sudden. You see her tits through her shirt. <laughs> and he's like, I'm sorry, I was such a fucking cunt. And then she gets fucking mowed down by a machine gun. And she just stands there comically, just getting shot up. <laughs> And he's like, he just emphasizes, mow down, I'm talking fucking mow down! She's still standing there. She's getting blasted to death. Yeah. And it gets down to like, the old, like, then like, you know, fucking the, the mob boss comes in, he says, pieces for fags. Then a sudden arrow goes through his neck. Then his fucking head blows up because of a fucking shotgun, you know. Just this ridiculous, over-the-top action scene. <laughs> and this is the final shootout. Because the, the other kind of theme, and it's in actually all three of these movies, is that, that there's this final shootout. No matter what, there's always going to be the final shootout. And characters in the movies themselves are looking forward to this final shootout. Mm-hmm. Just like how in Bruges, Ralph Fiennes is looking forward to the final shootout. So are the characters in The Seven Psychopaths. Sam Rockwell, really looking forward to this thing. Because his whole thing is... He's really like the, like the world's best best friend almost. Because he, in a sense, sacrifices his life so that his buddy Marty can have a really good script. Heck, he does, inspiration. He's trying he to does the Jack of Diamonds thing because he wanted to be, have an inspirational character out there in the real world for Marty to write from. He brings together all these other psychopaths and he even stirs up with, you know, big mob boss guys too. Mm-hmm. It's, it really is. It's just like, God, like, what has your friend done for you? Willing <laughs> <laughs> to sacrifice his life and life of other people's just for his scripts, <laughs> just for his buddy's script. And I like because he's just so sincere about it too. Kind of like he's like, yeah, Marty, it's, you know, I was do- doing it for you, doing it for your script. I want you to have a great script. I want you to get out of that funk. And he's like, you gotta stop drinking. He's like, I'm not gonna stop drinking. He's like, I'll help you with your script if you stop drinking. I'm okay. It's a deal! Like, I, I didn't say it was a deal. I'm just saying, you know. <laughs> and then at some point, like, there's the, uh, shit, what was it? There's the part where he actually, um, they're driving by on the way out there. And this is actually, this small little thing for me. They're playing a rendition, uh, like a weird, I never heard this version before, but a weird acoustic rendition of Dirty Dishes by Deer Tick. It's really, it works good. It's kind of when they go out into the desert and uh, they drive by this one, like, big rock. So it's like, that's the perfect place for the final shootout. I'm not saying we're going to have a final shootout, but if we were to have a final shootout, that'd be the perfect spot. Yeah. And sure enough, he lets Woody Harrelson know where they are and blows up the car so they can't go nowhere. Yeah. And says, okay, and like... Where's he go? The final shootout. Yeah, this is the part, too. It's like, Christopher Walken, he decides to walk into town. Why, why, why is he exactly walking into town again? He starts having doubts about heaven, about, I think his wife's name was Marla. Yeah, because okay, well, they take peyote, um, and he goes out in the desert, and he kind of feels like he spoke to his wife, but, you know, obviously, just the peyote thing. Mm-hmm. But then, he, yeah, he decides to go into town, and that's when he runs into all of um, Woody Harrelson's gang guys. Mm-hmm. And earlier in the, throughout the while they're in the desert, when you see him alone, he's just kind of talking to a microphone, into a tape, tape recorder. recorder. You don't think much of it, and then that's where he comes across probably his right Woody Harrelson's right hand man, 
And he says, like, all right, man, all right, old man, I like you, so I don't want to shoot you, because he bumped into him several times. Like, I don't want to shoot you, so you stay where you're at, okay? And then he just reaches into his pocket. because well, you see, because he looks over and he sees all these police officers right next door. Mm-hmm. So he knows that, you know, he's an old man, his wife's dead, you know, his friends are going to be next. So he makes the sacrifice. Once again, that's almost like in Bruges. It's funny when you think about these movies t- right, right together. Also kind of like Grand Torino, this part. Well, that too, but like almost like, mm-hmm. you know how... Um, what's his name in Bruges? Ken jumps out the window to warn his buddy. Colin Farrell's just the one getting right, ass yeah. saved by all his buddies and all yeah. his <laughs> God, what would he He do? was bullseye. He was he was fucking the guy in SWAT. He was in <laughs> Total Recall. He has to have all his friends save him. Yeah, his friends are always there. Those movies. But like, so he decides he's like, you know, I don't I don't got anything else to do. So he reaches in, which looks like he's going for a gun. He pulls out the microphone. And he gets shot to death. But the police come after him there, so the rest of those guys take off, so he knows no matter what, the cops are right behind him. Mm-hmm. And then it even says something like on there, like, for Marty, or like, taped on there, I think, something yeah. like that. And, um, which this is one part that's always kind of weird in movies, like, later on, Colin Farrell comes up to his body, and it's like, the police are like, whoa, whoa, back up, he's like, that, that, that's my friend. And he's like, oh, okay, and he goes up, and then you just think that, like, a cop would be like, dude, that guy's fucking, like, over, I'm like, what's evidence, you know? Well, that, and then secondly, too, because, like, because you see this in other movies, too, where they do the same thing, where they go, like, oh, let me get by, and then all of a sudden, they're down there, and they, they take something from him, and it's like, you think the cops would be like, whoa, wait a second, what the fuck just happened there, he just took something from this, that's evidence, all right, there, you can't be that, but, but at the same time, it works for yeah, I mean, like, it, it, it's good, because the whole point is... Here's a tape recorder for Marty. This is so he can, you know, finish a script. Everything's going towards a script. All these sacrifices people are making. And then what ends up happening is they're kind of out there at this, uh, at this, like, as Woody Harrelson's coming in, it's actually just kind of like this, it's actually kind of smart. You don't really think about it. He's just like, he's come, he has a gun drawn on him. He says like, all right, you stay right there. He's wise. Well, he okay, I'm right here. Then he shoots him. He's just like, what the fuck are you doing? He's like, he's unarmed. He, and he's like, he's just like, Oh shit, he's really unarmed. Why is he unarmed? He says, he fucking told me to come unarmed. You know? <laughs> I didn't think he'd actually fucking do it. You know? <laughs> and that's when he has like a flare gun. He's just like, this, like Marty's like, you know, I'm going to do this like the non-violent style. I'm going to take him back. I'm going to prove this could all be done without killing a single person. And then he's driving him, he's driving him back. It's just a, a quick little thing. He has, a, he has a bottle of Jack. And he just drinks it, chugs it. And he's like, is he driving and drinking? That's fucking great. You know? <laughs> yeah, he's like, he's like, oh, like that would be helpful. And then as they go back, he come, they come across like Woody Harrelson's goons, and you realize the, the flare gun, Sam Rockwell's like, oh, wait a minute. This is like something to signal off. Because like, he's bringing him once again towards there, because he doesn't want uh-huh. Marty to have to be deal with that. I think it's a way because he's afraid that Marty's going to get killed by going out. So he fires it off, and then that this is one of those things where the whole passive thing comes into play. And all his goons come, and like, you know, uh, then... Um, Woody Harrelson says something to the lines of like, he says like, you didn't take a gun? You didn't take the fucking gun. He says, no, I don't believe in him. He's just like, it's a gun, not a, not fucking Santa Claus, you stupid mick. And then, and then that's where the thing where it really comes into play. He says like, cause Marty refused to kill him and offered to help him. He points a gun right at Marty and he can't bring himself to kill him. He's like, well, this guy yeah, got me out of here. I'm still going to tell him to sell him a hostage, but I just can't kill him right yeah. now. So it's one of those things. And then as Sam Rockwell is tossing out all his guns, he forgets that he still had an extra flare round. And he comes out holding the dog with the flare gun to his head. And that's where you get the part where, like, nobody wants to kill the dog, but it's the ultimate hostage. Yeah. She's like, I'll, so I'll kill this fucking dog. And I love this dog. <laughs> and that's where Marty, he actually just kind of, he sees the cops coming. 
and he kind of lets uh, earlier that they reference that uh, Woody Harrelson's gun always jams. He's just like oh, your, yeah. your 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 gun is jamming. Yeah, this is the final shootout, and your gun is jamming. You know, <laughs> and that's where the cops get there just in time to see him shoot. Sam Rockwell. So he knows that he can go to jail and Marty can get away. Everything's everything's working towards Marty's favor here. Mm -hmm. That's when Marty comes across the tape player, listens to the Vietnamese story, the full version of it. And that's where the movie basically almost ends. And we get this very... I always like that song. Um, It's by the Stone Ponies. And it's like... uh, uh, I remember what the song is called. You and I move to the beat of a different drum. That really nice song. And it just has, you see, he has that script printed out. He's walking down the street and just kind of like upbeat mood, upbeat mood, like mood. And then as he's walking down, he has the, open, the closing credits and it looks like the film is like a little scratch and stops. And then gets like, he gets a phone call late at night. Mm-hmm. And it's Tom Waits is on the other line. And he's saying that like, Marty, you said that you had put my number in at the end. I saw your film and it wasn't there. So I'm going to come and I'm going to fucking kill you. And I like it. See, Colin Farrell just looks and goes, yeah. He's, he's like, you come Wednesday. I got nothing going on then. <laughs> and then just in this conversation, he kind of goes, well, Wednesday doesn't really work for me. And he's like, well, I'm free all next week or whatever he says. He's like, well, you know what? I guess I'll just have to call you back on that one. And it's sort of this change. It's like, since the plans just didn't work out, it was just this slight change of heart that he just said, you know what? Well, Maybe I don't need it. He's not begging for his life. And then I think some people say it's kind of unclear if Marty's going to get killed or not. But I think it's I think it's pretty much he's going to be fine. I think so too. Be for the fact that like in just a movie kind of way, when he leaves, when you see Tom Waits walking away from the phone booth, I feel like that's the sign that said he walked away from that and just said, you know what, whatever. And he even had the rabbit. He even says the rabbit, like, come on, let's go home. Yeah, that right there. It's like that to me is like I call it like movie lines of saying that like. That's over. Yeah. But, boom. That's the movie right there. All kinds of stuff. I guess we gotta hurry up. Well, I'm gonna go see a Cradle of Filth concert, which is, <laughs> you know, more darkness and mayhem and comedy. But, you know, those are, well, I said two two movies, one short, but two movies, probably some of our favorite movies of all time, I think. I really think that In Bruges is just a full-on amazing one. But I think Seven Psychopaths is technically right. It's right behind it. It is so close to being just as good. I'll say this. Even though I think... Let me put it this way. Um, in Bruges, I feel like I can watch that movie almost any time. But Seven Psychopaths... And love that movie. But Seven Psychopaths, it's almost kind of like... I don't know what it is. I, I feel like I, I can Bruges more, but Seven Psychopaths kind of puts me in a happier mood for whatever reason. I don't really know what it means. Because brighter colors, more vibrant. Maybe yeah. that's part of it. The, some, some of the small things... But no, they're just two full-on awesome movies that I love. And um, he also, he has a brother named Jonathan, I think Jonathan Michael McDonough. Uh, McDonough. And apparently he's produced for his brother. And that brother, because I uh, that brother has a movie called The Guard, as well as a movie called The Calvary, both starring Brendan Gleeson. And they're also dark comedies. So, so there's something to check out just to see if that, because, you know, in a sense, that almost be like, totally similar in tone so it's almost like you got more of his movies mm-hmm. yeah and I, pre- I believe he produced The Guard so I'd be interested in checking this dude out he currently has a third movie in production right now I don't remember what it's called but whatever this dude makes I want to see yeah I'll be there I'll, we'll, we'll drive a couple hours away just to go see the movies that's how good they are yeah but yeah till then check out oldmanorange.com for more podcasts cartoons music and more 
And if you want to see these movies and you haven't seen them, I'll put the little links underneath the description that lead to Amazon so you can pick up in Bruges or Seven Psychopaths, which you can pick up for like, I think they're like five bucks brand new. They're, they're totally cheap. So, one way to support the podcast and check out some fucking amazing films. Till then, I'm Spencer Scott Holmes. I'm Ryan Dunnigan. We'll see you some other time. Later, folks. Thanks for listening to the Old Man Orange Podcast. Check out our website at oldmanorange.com for even more podcasts, cartoons, videos, music, and more. Send us an email at oldmanorangepodcast at yahoo.com. Be sure to subscribe, share, rate, and review us on iTunes, Podomatic, or any of the other fine sites we might be located on. If you want to help out even more, click on the Amazon or GameStop links on our webpage before you make any purchases there. It won't cost you a penny, but it sends us a little something our way. Thanks again, and tune in next week for more Old Man Orange Podcast.